Oh yeah! Welcome back to Masters of the Cinematic Universe. My name is Joe and with me as every single time is Mr. Doug Christ and Eric Pabone. Oh yeah! You got what's that. What's up guys? Hey, what's going on man? Are you ready to get in the zone? Eat the Pabone zone? The Pabone zone! <laughs> I'm always the Pabone zone. That's, That's my true. secret. Uh, I still want to like... I mean, I know I can do audio somewhat, but I want to hire an actual person who's good at doing audio to like do the commercial like with the music and everything. Oh, God. That would be a <laughs> blessing and a curse. Yeah, that's true. Uh, as, as you know, I'm not like above spending money on like <laughs> something to fuck with other people. Oh, I know. I have yeah. first-hand experience. I will literally drop cash to screw with people because it makes, brings my joy to my heart. It's the little things, man. Oh, it's true. Whatever floats yeah. your boat, baby. There you go. So, uh, anything new going on with you guys? Uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm winding down 12 straight days off, and I got a lot less done than I wanted to <laughs> during those 12 days. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a Saturday night, and I'm going back to work Monday after being off since before Christmas. So, oh, um, wow. Yeah, it, it, but it, w- it was still nice. You know, it was nice to just hang out, get some stuff done, and, uh, you know, I mean, me heading back to work is just turning my work computer on at my desk on Monday morning. It's not like yeah. I had to drive anywhere. So you're like, God you know. damn commute. Exactly. It ain't so bad. So, uh, you know, I got to go but downstairs today. <laughs> yeah. But you know, yeah, you, other than that, Christmas home, was good. And what's that? I was going to say when you work from home, like, you, I don't know, you adjust and that does become a hassle, you know? Oh no, I don't yeah, exactly. I'd much rather do what I did this past week than than work even at home, but um you know, having worked you know in the field for a long time and most of the jobs I've ever had have been driving like nuts. This is definitely a welcome change. It's been a welcome change for the last 9 months, so I got a feeling yeah. we're going to be talking about working in the field later tonight also. Yeah, just a little bit. There you go, Joe. <laughs> the Segway King. How about you, Eric? Anything going on new? Uh, I have organized my space a bit where I record. Uh, I'm nestled in like a bunch of toys, basically, because um, <laughs> I collect things. You know, I'm a I'm a bit of a pack rat, so I've got all kind of memorabilia and movie props and Star Wars toys, and uh, it's just I'm now learning to have too much shit, which I never thought would be a problem because you know. It, it never felt like a problem, but yeah, now I'm I'm finding like duplicates of things I didn't know I had, and it's it's getting <laughs> getting to be a lot. Yeah, but first off, I'd change the word pack rat to connoisseur because the pictures uh, you posted are amazing. Oh, um, thank you. And yeah, that's like it's like collecting gear, like you know, guitar Dude, gear. Did, did you see you know? the guy in the BDM gamers group that was giving away the X Men figures and stuff? No. Uh, yeah, he had a box full of X-Men figures and old comic books that he was just giving away. Someone like claimed him instantly. Oh, son of a bitch. Oh, man. I would have grabbed him. You could look it up in the... Uh, oh, I saw the Gambit. I was just like, can I just have the Gambit? That's the only one I want. <laughs> it, but, you know, as I say that, like, I look up and I have all of those old Uncanny X-Men figures, like, from the 90s. Yeah. So I don't really need them, but I would... See, that's my problem. I'd take them anyway. Yeah. Well, it's yep. like me today. I went down to this... Um, like yard sale down the street and they were like everything's free if, the, if you can donate money if you want to so i grabbed this giant box full of books oh that's cool 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't need them. A lot of them are Star Trek books, and there was the Star Trek X-Men crossover book, too, which is kind of uh, fun, because... Yeah, that's you know. a yeah. that's a fascinating... I, I saw the picture you sent, and it got the wheels turning in my head. Like, what would that read like? Like, what would that story even be? Well, I'll let you know pretty soon. Yeah. You have to <laughs> yeah. let me borrow that when you're done. Oh, definitely. Um, another thing, I went to Disney last week, because... Disney? Why not? I got my three days reservations. Uh, I went to Epcot in Animal Kingdom, which were Epcot in Animal Kingdom. But I also went over to the Hollywood studio, which I always want to call MGM studio still, because that's what it always was growing yeah, up. Yeah. That's what it was the last time I was there. <laughs> oh God. It's been yes, a while. Exactly. Been a while. But, um, I ended up, uh, getting to finally after I'd say over a year of trying get the, uh, the actual ability to go on rise of the resistance. Oh, preach it brother. Uh, cool. Which, uh, cause normally what happens is you go to the park and you open up the virtual queue thing and you click on it and within two seconds of it opening, it's already completely full. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Literally you got the app on, you're refreshing, you're refreshing. As soon as it like refreshes, you hit join. And then like, by the time you like press, you know, you know, uh, except for like the people in your group that are going, which is literally two to three seconds. It'll tell you the queue is full. Oh man, see that's too stressful for me. <laughs> and you're like, "What the hell? It's been three seconds." Right. But but this time I got backup boarding group 140. Um, I come to realize through talking to people throughout the park during the day that there are 128 original boarding groups, and if you make one of those 128, um, you're almost guaranteed if the ride doesn't break down to to get on the ride. But once you get past that, you're getting kind of pushing your luck. Really? So, so the park closed at 8. Mine got in about 5.55 is when I was, like, invited to, like, come on the ride. Wow. So I was like, I made it. I also went on the new uh, Mickey Mini Runaway Railway, which is the same type of uh, trackless ride. Like, it's one of those, those uh, the new style Disney rides. They're called trackless. Uh-huh. And the cars can do different things, like, during the ride. So you don't always get the same ride experience. Oh, that's cool. It's also what they're going to be doing with the Ratatouille ride when it comes when it gets made. Hey, Joe, if you ever want to do a, a bonus episode, because it'll take an hour to talk about these Star Wars rides and how much uh, I weeped uh, riding them, we'll, we'll do a <laughs> uh, bonus Rise of the Resistance episode. Nice. Can we also do a go-to episode where me and you go to Disney together? Let's do it, man. You have annual pass? I let it lapse because, you know, the world melted. But yeah. It'll 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 be back soon. All right. Well, when it comes back, you get training pass. We're gonna go together. Let's do it, man. We'll we'll have uh, we'll have Doug Skype in. Yeah. yeah we'll, right. We'll, yeah. We'll have Doug on Facetime on the ride. <laughs> Check this out, man. Whoa, Doug! <laughs> you should have seen that. I mean, at least you won't have to wait in line. We, we're gonna true. make you like while we're in line, you have to sit there like you sit in the chair, <laughs> and not do anything else. You get the full experience. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you're a little dehydrated before we call you. <laughs> oh, and you better be wearing a mask the whole freaking time, because <laughs> we will have to. Okay. <laughs> uh, trigger heater on too. Like trigger heater on and just, just like the filter and it spritz it with some water. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm getting a heater and a humidifier going. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Then All then right. we'll be we'll be even. Because you don't want you don't want to be cool. Yeah. Well, I am Especially cool. Especially your but hands. I don't want to be cool. Yeah. yeah. No, no cool hands, and sometimes nothing is better. <laughs> you know, 
Yep. No, nothing's a real cool hand. <laughs> Nothing is a real cool hand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Eric Clapton was known as slow hand. And now he's not. Now he's known as other things, and we're not going to talk about. Oh, I didn't even hear about that. <laughs> nah, he's just whatever. I'm not getting into it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, speaking of things that have been around since the '60s, what are we doing today, Doug? <laughs> So we are doing what is absolutely my favorite movie of all time. Uh, generally, I don't like to tag a number one of things. I'll group them together, but this one is, there's just no doubt. It's my favorite movie of all time. I've seen it a bunch of times. Um, cool Hand Luke uh, came out in 1967, uh, starring Paul Newman, one of my man crushes. Um, the man is a god in my book as far as, you know, well, on the acting side, on the humanitarian side and everything. He's just, like, the coolest dude. So, um, I didn't see this movie till I was an adult. Actually, that's not true. I did see it when it came out. <laughs> but you were an was, adult. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know, yes, because I'm 90. Um, no. <laughs> so, my parents, when they wanted to see a movie, they would pack us in the car and go to the drive-in. So, it, knowing that my, my sister and I would be unconscious before like the main feature started because <laughs> they bring we they dress us in pajamas and they would bring our pillows and we'd fall asleep in the back and they get to watch the adult movies you know the, yeah, the, the bottle the, of robitussin yeah exactly right <laughs> you know a little little bit a little bit of rum on, on the gums um so i did see it back then in 1967 but obviously didn't remember a thing about it um so yeah i rediscovered it as an adult and it's just become my favorite movie so, uh, what'd you guys think of it, just in general? Um, not how I, re- I mean, I remember it, and I remember some of the scenes, but I remember it being a lot more boring, and it wasn't as boring this watch. Okay, <laughs> that's a start. That's cool. I, uh, I, I, I told you this before. I thought I had seen this movie, and it turns out I was dead ass wrong because I had never seen this before. Um, so <laughs> I went into it completely virgin eyes. And I gotta say, man, I really, really enjoyed it. Excellent. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. Um, so yeah, so let's uh, let's get into it. Um, so I mean, this story it, it takes place in the fifties uh, down in Joe's neck of the woods in Florida. Um, this is in Florida. It, it's a, well, it was shot in California, but yes, it takes place in Florida. Um, really? Yep. They it does they not went, look at all like Florida. <laughs> no, I know, but yeah. It, 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 it's supposed to be Florida. They actually uh, they went down to a, a, a prison camp, just like was in the movie, and you know just took a bunch of photos and recreated that in um, in Stockton, California. Um, imported a ton of Spanish moss to put on the trees around the uh, around the prison to make it look Florida-like. So they did try their best to keep it realistic. Um, and they did the exterior shots on roads in Florida. So huh. um, I would not have guessed this was Florida. Yeah, yeah. So the movie centers around uh, a gentleman by the name of Lucas Jackson. He is uh, well. He's a troublemaker. There's no other way to put it. You know, he does not like authority, and he fights it at every single turn. And um, that lands him in this prison camp in Florida. It's a road crew. It's a chain gang. Um, it was written by Frank Pearson. He wrote the book. Um, 
after his time as a convict, he was in the Navy, I believe, but got caught uh, writing counterfeit checks and ended up in a uh, prison in France and then um, escaped that prison and made it back to America, but fell into a life of crime and did some time there. And while he was doing time, he heard a story uh, told by a fellow inmate about someone they knew who was the epitome of uh, Luke Jackson. And uh, he wrote a book about it, and the book did well. And I think it came out in 65. And, uh, you know, the option, the, 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 the studio bought the option for it and wanted to make it into a movie. So he participated in the screenplay uh, as well. Uh, they did have to bring in a ringer to brush it up because he, he didn't have the experience to write screenplays, um, having only done it as a novel. So, um, yeah. Uh, it was directed by Stuart Rosenberg, who's probably the movie everybody knows, well, most people would, my age anyway, is <laughs> uh, the Amityville Horror, the original 1979 Amityville Horror. He directed that. Ooh. Um, he also directed some other great movies. He directed The, the Drowning Pool, which also starred Paul Newman and uh, Paul Newman's wife, Joan Woodward. Um, that's a good movie, too. And another movie with Robert Redford called Brubaker in 1980, where... Redford's a prison warden, so he did a lot of prison stuff. He's a prison warden who goes undercover to find out about corruption in the prison system. Um, so the guys worked with uh, some heavyweights in the uh, in in Hollywood. Um, it was nominated for a few Oscars, and actually um, George Kennedy won for Best Supporting Actor uh, for this role. It was his only nomination and only win as an actor. And I love George Kennedy as, as an actor. He's such a great uh, character guy. And Newman was nominated but lost out to Rod Steiger, who was in Mars Attacks <laughs> that we, we reviewed, um, you know, a few episodes back. But uh, Rod Steiger won for In the Heat of the Night that year. Um, nice. So there was some heavy competition because that movie is, again, it's another, you know, classic, amazing movie. And Rod Steiger was uh, beautiful in that. Now, uh, I'm going to real quick just because I, I was looking this up because it made me think about it. I remember where I first heard about Cool Hand Luke from. Mm-hmm. And when you brought up Mars Attacks, it all put together. Because on the same album that there is a song called Mars Attacks by Aesop Rock, he has a lyric. And this is the first time I ever heard about Cool Hand Luke. This is what it sounds like. For the nickel feet, like Cool Hand Luke decapitating parking meters when I pace through the whistles like we <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was the first time I remember hearing about Cool Hand Luke was when I was listening to Aesop Rock's Bazooka Tooth album. He goes, it's a pocket full of nickels like Cool Hand Luke decapitating parking meters while the pigs whistle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so at least he saw the beginning of the movie. I give you credit for that. That's great. Hey, hey well, Aesop Rock's a genius, so. Okay, all right. Um, he's he's one of the you. most intelligent rappers ever. I'll have to take your word for that, but that's Hey, okay. he brought Cool Hand Luke <laughs> into a rap song. You're right. No, I got respect for him. I, I and have And he's from New York. You'd think you would like him. <laughs> We have a laundry list of shit I don't like from New York, even though I'm from there. But again, story for another day. Hey, how can you hate um, anybody until you hate yourself? There you go. <laughs> All right. So we're going to dive into the flick. But real quick, when I mentioned George Kennedy winning the Oscar, he he had so little backing from the studio. Uh, not that they didn't appreciate his, his work in the movie. Uh, he actually p paid $5,000 of his own money to put an ad in uh, the trade papers during Oscar nomination season so that he would get that nomination. Still not thinking he would ever win. He never even wrote an acceptance speech for it. But he actually won. And, you know, it, when you watch this flick, 
you understand why because he's amazing in it. Now, now, uh, real quick with his character, what I can't tell was he trying to play it like he was kind of slow? Yeah. Well, he okay. can't even read. He he he's he can't read in in, yeah. the, in the movie. It's so a very, yeah, like, he, of mice and men vibe going on. Yes. But, so he won an Oscar. Yes. So that just goes to prove <laughs> the point. You never go full. All right. <laughs> We're referencing a, a future uh, episode. <laughs> well, uh, I just thought about that. I was like, man, it's tied right. in. 100%. If you don't, because he didn't. I couldn't tell. Like I'm sitting here wondering. I'm like, is he? Is he not? Yep. Like no. I mean. So he, if, he he's a man that has gotten by on his brawn and his personality. He's a salesman. If you th- if you, if if you you know dive into the yeah. psyche, he's a salesman. He can sell anybody anything, whether it's by finesse or by brute force, because he's a large man and he's intimidating. So that's how he's gotten by. But yeah, he's his his you know schooling I would imagine was was low level because yeah he can't even read. I just so. wanted, like, because my opinion on his character is based upon that fact, and I couldn't figure it out as I was watching it. I'm like, yeah. is he playing kind of slow, or is he just, is that just his accent? Or? Yeah, I'm not a pro on accents, but it sounds a bit Cajun or, or Louisiana, yeah, South Louisiana like. Again, I, I could be pulling this out of my butt, but it's the way it sounds to me. So he's definitely backwoods. You know, and uh, he got caught what he was doing, and you know he's he's paying the price for it. But uh, oh man, yeah. So I just looked. I just looked up in Florida, like Cool Hand Luke. Yeah, uh, it took place in Duval County, which is Jacksonville. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Even in the sixties, that makes sense. Uh, Jacksonville is yeah. terrible. Yeah. So, all right, I, I said we we're going to dive into the movie, but I lied because one more real quick thing. Uh, so uh, the, the guy, uh, Don Pierce, who helped John Pierce write the screenplay. So Don Pierce was a Hollywood guy they brought in to help you know, uh, punch up the script. He did not want Paul Newman at all. He thought he was too skinny, thought he was too cute to play the guy that could tough it out in a prison camp like that. Even though Newman was nominated for an Oscar, going as recently as 2011, Pierce shit all over him. <laughs> um, he just, it just, he, it, he didn't want him in there. But for whatever reason, you know, I think he was extremely wrong. Uh, but all right, so we're gonna get into the movie now. Um, it opens up with the Warner Brothers logo, uh, just like even movies of today. Again, the, the credit, the opening credits on movies even in the 70s, but going back in the 60s, were very different than they are today. Um, they listed the cast um, in the beginning a lot, or at least the major players, all of them first. And the credits were a lot shorter. But the Warner Brothers logo comes up, and we see a big red, we're not quite sure what it is yet, but it just says violation on it. And um, it, or it pops up, you know, when the opening music starts. Um, we see a uh, just feet. We see a figure. We don't know who it is yet. He's sort of walking around in circles on, on these parking meter poles. And we notice he's got a pipe cutter. And he's cutting the heads off parking meters. Uh, so he spins it around. The meter head falls to the ground. And he very deliberately drops the pipe cutter and drags the head and places it neatly next to the pole he doesn't leave it where it is in the street 
He's, he's sort of got a, a method to his madness, even right from the start. Um, the camera pans up to reveal Paul Newman in his blue-eyed glory. That guy's eyes, I don't care, guy, girl, otherwise, he has the most piercing light blue eyes you've ever seen. Um, that goes, again, to my man crush for the guy. Um, so he just frames the entire screen. And he's got this grin on his face, this just bemused grin that he's doing the coolest thing ever, and he's enjoying it. Um, he walks over to the next meter, and he kisses it <laughs> before he sets the pipe cutter up to drop the, uh, the next meter head. And he goes through this a few times. There's probably three or four meters on the ground when all is said and done. Um, he's very prepared in that he's, got, he's drinking beer. We see him swigging a beer, but he's got more beers available to him. And he's even got the, the bottle opener around his neck on a chain. So he may not be organized. He may not plan ahead, but he's got this little gig planned pretty well. Um, Apparently, they, um, they left those parking meter heads cut off for people to visit in that little city in California. Really? Oh, yeah, I read great. that in the trivia. That's fantastic. I love it. And another funny delinquent story from my, my childhood. Uh, when I used to be a skateboarder, my late teens probably like 16 17 years old um we went to university of miami and uh we were delinquents we were getting chased out of there all the time because we used to skate there and downtown and everywhere but we actually knocked over a parking meter because they they put them in the dirt so like we just leaned on it and started moving so we just rocked it back and forth until it came out of the ground <laughs> you could have ended up in the duval county prison system Jeff. that's what i was just thinking i'm like ah, oh, jackson but i was i was underage so like oh, all right yeah you just wanted to been just juvenile delinquent right, and stuff I get it nice nice but uh <laughs> but yeah we we stole the parking meet all right back cool in the day. cool those um, are not easy to break into by the way no i be- <laughs> i believe it um so luke is he's obviously drunk we don't know his name yet but but he's luke we we know he's luke he's very drunk he stumbles and he falls he sits down cracks open another beer starts drinking it when you know the police roll up and you know they ask him what he's doing and he's so drunk he can't even form a sentence he's like i just cut the meat thing or something yeah. along those lines he can't, you know and the cops are like you better come along with us and he just giggles and drools beer out of his mouth <laughs> you know he he is completely wasted um you know i so, wish like we had a reason why he was doing this well, there is. It, it all comes down to the fact that, I mean, he's a nonconformist in the sense that he, he does the exact opposite of what is right just for the sake of doing it. Okay? He, he fights against authority. Okay? It's misguided and it's misdirected and it's just sometimes plain stupid. But his whole life revolves around pushing back against authority. See, uh, my, yeah. whole, like, my whole desire, because I didn't really remember the movie that well, but my whole desire was that like he did this intentionally to get put into jail to get revenge on somebody like the warden or somebody. But like that's what I'm hoping for the entire movie. I'm like, it never comes right. to fruition. I'm like, that would have been like the greatest mm. thing ever. Like He like wanted to get put in jail so he can get close to this person to get revenge on them for something they did to him in the past. But no, nah, well, it was just later, drunk cutting parking meters. No, but see, you're close. you're close there because later in the movie, I have a quote written down. But he references the fact that in a small town, there's nothing to do at night. So he says, so it's mostly about settling scores. All right. 
So, yes, he, he didn't think as far ahead as that he was going to land in prison. But somebody in that town did something to him. A cop harassed him or a, an official. He couldn't get something done or something happened to him. And he was getting even with the town. And that was his way of doing it. Again, he doesn't plan ahead. He doesn't think about the, the consequences of his actions. He, he focuses on, you know, the cause and the effect. He, somebody yeah, the, screwed him in that town, and he's going to screw them back. The and that's the end of his too. thought process. And I agree with Doug on this one, you know, 100%. You know, from the beginning of this movie until the end when we get there, there's this theme of pushing against whatever authority has been established you know whether it's the police or the prison system or uh you know towards the end of this movie you could even argue that it's god himself right like like this character is just always pushing against these um these structures of authority right and and we we touched on this before when we were chatting and we're not going to delve deeply into it, but there are there are some heavy religious undertones going on in this movie, and 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 that pushback is part of it. That's definitely part of that pushback against authority, and and those that would oppress, or or in his eyes would oppress. So you know that his motivation is not deep, but it's driven. That's the thing, and that's one of the things that draws me to his character, and just to the way Newman played it. Um, and then real quick, as far as the casting goes, Jack Lemon, the actor, the odd couple guy, his, his studio owned the rights. He thought about doing it, but realized he just wasn't the right guy. and he, he, he knew that. Jack Lemon is not the guy to play that role. But they actually cast uh, Telly Savalas <laughs> as Luke. But he hmm. was in Europe shooting Dirty Dozen, and he didn't want to fly back. And that was like the best thing in the history of movies in my eyes. Because, I mean, Telly Savalas is great. But he does what he does like nobody else, but he couldn't have done this. He w- the movie would have been awful if he was in it. Um, so, yeah. So that, that's a little, little tidbit. Um, so after Luke dribbles his beer and uh, gets picked up by the cops, th- we get the title sequence. And Cool Hand Luke comes across the screen. And they start playing what, and I, I should have looked this up, but I just call it Luke's theme. All right. It, it's... It's funny because the song is, it's very, it's happy and almost whimsical. Yeah. Um, you know, in that, I, and again, I think that goes back to what I mentioned about his, his you know, his motivation isn't deep, but it, it, it's, he's got a conviction to do what needs to be done in his eyes. And, and I think that this, the song sort of represents that in the fact that, yeah, he is, you know, he's a really smart guy when it comes down to it, but, you know, it's just about floating through life a little bit for him. And, and that, that song nails it in my eyes. So we hear that song, and then we fade to uh, a, a chain gang working on a road, which we know, you know now is in Duval County, Florida. Um, we got our first view of Dragline. We don't know his name yet, but uh, it's played by George Kennedy. Um, and we find that all the characters in this movie have nicknames. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little more detail. But they've all got nicknames. So Dragline is the first guy we see. And very quickly, and I like this because it's realistic in that they establish how structured the, the chain gang is and how structured this prison camp life is and that Dragline wants to take his shirt off because it's hot. He doesn't just take his shirt off. He has to ask first or he has to state first, taking it off, boss. And 
one of the bosses says yes, and he can take the shirt off because any movement that's not authorized is taken as a threat or a, an opportunity to escape. So they need to clarify that. Plus, it's almost like a boot camp, military boot camp, where they're training them to, to be respectful of authority, you know, um, sort of almost Orwellian. Um, Respect my authority. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, even, even so Gambler, one of the other convicts, I mean, he wants to wipe his forehead. He can't lift that rag to wipe his forehead without, say, wiping it off, boss. And then, you know, eat, drinking the water, drinking it, boss. So, you know, they quickly establish the rigidness of, you know, this life that, that these convicts have, have put themselves in. Um, so then, you know, as they're doing it, a prison truck drives past them. It's going towards the camp. Um, and the chain gangs, they start taking bets on how many, how many new guys are in, in the truck as it drives by. Um, we get our first view of Boss Godfrey. Uh, and he's, you know, also known as the man with no eyes because he wears aviator uh, mirrored shades the entire movie, uh, almost the entire movie. Um, and there's a, there's a, a filmmaking technique that, that the director Rosenberg uses where he, he films a scene in the reflection of those glasses. So we yeah. see the truck in the glasses fade away down the road as, 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 uh, you know, Boss Godfrey is looking at it, um, and I dig that. I thought I, I, I think it's a cool effect. Uh, it wasn't overused. I think it was just used just right throughout the movie, um, and it it just it reinforces the fact or reinforces the power that that Boss Godfrey has over everyone because he's the head guy, except for the captain. He's the head guy, and he's the badass in this on on the the side of quote good or authority. He's he kind of reminds me of like the Man in Black in Westworld. Hundred percent. I agree. I agree. And it turns out, and I, I'm going to smack myself for not writing the actor's name down because I do dig him. But he had more lines in this movie. He only utters one line in the entire movie, and and it's it's close to the end. He had more lines in this movie, but the director and the writer didn't like his voice. They th didn't think his voice matched his intimidating physical features. Yeah. So they removed the lines, and and it it's actually a good thing because it makes him more menacing. Yep. You know, it's like like you yeah. you said, Joe, the man in black in Westworld, he doesn't speak that much. When he does, it's forceful, but he does it by his actions, and so does Boss Godfrey. Now so, I don't know what his voice sounds like. Yeah, yeah, I know. I have to and I've seen him in other stuff and it's not like he has a squeaky voice if I remember correctly, but it's not deep or intimidating. And I apparently like um he's he's a character actor who's dating character even when they weren't shooting also. Yes, he did do that. He did he did <clears> the method uh the whole time. <laughs> Which is yeah. another foreshadow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, so next scene, uh, we see the truck arriving at uh, what we'll see as a sign a few minutes later, but it's Division of Corrections Road Prison 36. Um, that's what it was called. Um, I mentioned off recording that the movie, well, we've mentioned that it's, it takes place in Florida. It's, it takes place in the 50s, um, but it was shot in Stockton, California. So they actually went to a prison camp in Florida, yeah. took a lot of photos of the place, and basically rebuilt it in Stockton on a lot. Um, you know the reason I can tell it's not filmed in Florida is? Yeah. The light's wrong. Okay. That, like the I, sunlight. That's not what the sunlight in Florida looks like. That looks like California sunlight. No, you, I, and you know what? I respect that. I respect you catching that because you're right. Now that, now that you mentioned it, I completely agree, and I, I, I can see what you're saying because you're right. It is different. Um, it's something you don't think about unless you're from the area, but I, I completely get it. I do. Um, 
So, yeah, so we see the prison. Um, we see four men get out of the truck, including Luke. All right. Um, within these four, um, and that's a cool thing about this movie, there's a lot of actors and faces you recognize, especially when you're, you know, a little bit older than my age. Um, but, you know, Harry Dean Stanton. A lot of you guys know Harry Dean Stanton, right? I mean, you've seen him at Big Love, Red Dawn. He was an alien. Um, he was in the Avengers. He played a security guard when uh, when Banner crashes through the the old building. Yeah, that's Harry Dean Stanton. All right. So I mean, he he's been in a ton of stuff forever. Um, he's one of the guys in there. Um, I got I to say, yeah. I was just overwhelmed with excitement to see the dad from Pretty in Pink. <laughs> I was like, hey, I know that guy. Oh, wait a minute. Who's the? Which one is the dad from Pretty in Pink? He is. I, I want to say he's the last guy they show, and he's the musician. He, he he later is the guy who's you know playing all the acoustic. Oh, duh. No, that's Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, that's course, Harry Dean Stanton. Pink. Okay, that's yes. where I knew him from right off the bat. Yeah, that's I. You know what? And if, it's funny. Of all the movies I mentioned, I should have put that in my list because you're right. That's what most people would know him from. Yeah, he's the dad in Pretty in Pink. Harry Dean Stanton. He's always been a favorite character actor of mine. He's very versatile. He plays the same guy, so versatile might not be the right word. But um, he's he's a, as we find out later in the movie, he's playing guitar and he's singing. Um, so he's a talented musician. Uh, multiple instruments he plays. Um, so yeah, so he's in it. And uh, do you guys remember that way old show called The Waltons? Yep. Oh All yeah. Right. Well, the other one of the other guys that gets off the truck is Ralph Waite. He played Papa Walton. He played the dad. So the he's the I'm- one who would. What? Recognize most as Dennis Hopper. Oh yeah, exactly. Dennis Hopper he's been is. In, he's as, been in as, a lot of newer movies too. Yeah, as as Baba Lugats. Yes. Yeah. Um, his character is very interesting. I love his character. He played it so well. Um, so these these four convicts get out of the truck. They're standing there, and you know they're really not knowing what's going on. And out of the out of the cabin, they're standing in front of strolls the captain, um, Struther Martin, another great character actor um he was in Slapshot. he was the owner of the team in Slapshot. um he was in the wild bunch and the original true grit with with john wayne that same year 67 that came out so you know these are established character actors that are playing these roles so the captain strolls out and you know he basically reads them the riot act and uh not even the riot act he just goes into generalities but he he's looking through all the paperwork and this is where we find out luke's name um he says out loud lucas jackson and he reads his crimes about you know the, the destruction of municipal property and when he reads what luke did he's shocked everybody's shocked the other convicts are looking at him like what's wrong with you like why would you do something that's stupid to end up in a place like this none of them can understand what he did and um for two you know, years too man like yes exactly two that years for so that extreme. yeah well who knows his previous record and stuff but you know so you know and the captain cap massam why he did it i guess you could say i wasn't thinking cap you know like he doesn't have an answer because he doesn't have an answer he didn't make that up he doesn't know why he did it you know um we find out that luke is a war hero the captain reads off he's got a silver star a bronze star a purple heart um you know, and he also mentioned you you come out the same way you went in, a buck private. So it's just to establish what Luke thinks is his lot in life. And it may be his actual lot in life in that he, he's he's just aimless. He's completely aimless in his direction. 
but again, he's got his convictions that we'll talk about. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, we, we learn about that. Uh, we go inside the bunkhouse now where, where all the convicts sleep. The four of them are in there. Now they're getting the riot act. So trusty Carr, um, he's called the floor walker. Uh, the actor is Clifton James. He played uh, Sheriff J.W. Pepper in Live and Let Die, James Bond, one of my favorite James Bond flicks. And that character is amazing. That's <laughs> a movie we should do. Um, that movie definitely has the best James Bond song. Oh, definitely. Oh, 100%. 100%. But, yeah, his character, J.W. Pepper, is that, that, just that redneck Florida sheriff, and, and he wants to help the government. <laughs> he wants to help James Bond and the government. Um, but he reads the riot act, and he just he throws out a list of shit that's going to get you put in the box. We don't quite know what the box is yet, but, you know, if you forget your laundry number, you go in the box. You lose your spoon, you go in the box. You, you smoke while you're laying in bed, you go in the box. Now, if you, ironically yeah. enough, do you know how many things he says that will land you in the box? Uh, I didn't count it. Ten. You know why okay. that's important? Why? Because there are ten commandments. Oh, shit. There you go. And that's that religious undertone. That makes sense. Um, the funny thing is I have ten things listed here. I listed them all. I just didn't count it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, loud talking. Uh, I love the no, gra- no playing grab ass. You want to play grab ass, you do it on Saturday during our sanctioned fight day. <laughs> That's the only time you can play grab ass. Um, you know, Luke not being able to help himself, he cracks wise. And, you know, Carr's comment is, I hope you're not going to be a hard case. And obviously that's, you know, foreshadowing too because we know that Luke is. Not because that's his goal, it's just what he does. Um, so the, uh, the road crew returns. And they, a bunch of them run in because, you know, as we mentioned earlier, they're placing bets on how many new meats, as we find they call them, how many new meats have uh, come in on the truck. Uh, so, you know, they come in, the bets are settled, they all wash up because it's getting close to dinner time. Um, the boys, the four new guys don't even know what to do. So everybody heads to dinner and then, the, you know, uh, the floor walkers got to tell them, get your asses over there and eat your beans, you know. So... Um, we then jump to after dinner, so everybody's in the bunk. Uh, we know, based on uh, Cars Riot Act, that 8 o'clock is, is uh, lay down time. So that's coming, uh, coming soon. Um, we immediately get the packing order of the convicts established, and Dragline is clearly the alpha. He's the guy that everybody listens to, everybody wants to be friends with. He makes the rules in that place, and you better follow him. Um, we also find out that uh, he also gives you a nickname. You don't get a nickname till he gives it to you. Um, and, you know, we'll find people get their nicknames as the movie goes on. Um, you know, <laughs> Dragline, it is funny how he, how he phrases this. Uh, Luke mouths off, and Dragline says, maybe we should call it No Ears. Like, he doesn't even call him a guy. He's not even a person yet in in. in in Dragline's eyes, he's maybe we should call it no ears because he don't listen. And Luke's comment <laughs> is sarcastically stating, "Ain't heard, mu- you know, ain't heard that much worth listening to." Uh, so he's on Dragline's shit list like from the go, and it's only going to ramp up from there um, because Dragline, as we talked about earlier, because his education is lacking, he is a very insecure person. You know, he's used his brute strength. And, and salesmanship to get where he is in life, but he's insecure. If anybody challenges him intellectually, he knows he's at a disadvantage. 
So he feels that from Luke already. You know, Luke might not know it yet, but he feels it. Uh, so they go. It's now it's bedtime. They ring the bell. They all got to lay in lay in their bunks. Um, there's more routine learning going on. One of the new guys asks uh, Loudmouth Steve <laughs> what the scar is on his, you know, and, and the, the scar is massive. I think the actor actually has that scar. I don't know what happened to him. But the scar is massive on his belly, and, the, and you know, Big Mouth Steve's retort is, what scar? So you don't ask questions, especially new guys. They don't ask anything. Um, we quickly, 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 we quickly meet uh, Baba <laughs> Baba Lugatz. It's such a great name. I don't know what the fuck it means, but it's so great. Uh, it's played by Dennis Hopper, who we mentioned. Um, I mean, you know, he's, it's amazing. He did TV up until the 60s, but Easy Rider in, in 1969, Blue Velvet. I mean, that's an iconic character in, in 1986, and Hoosiers as well in 1986. I mean, he, you know, he's an icon, Dennis Hopper is. He's doing his version of the Lord's Prayer, because we can see that he's just a little, or maybe even a lot off. Um, so he's doing a very, like, childish version of the Lord's Prayer before he goes to bed. Um, so we get to the next scene, and uh, the gang's heading out to what I call work. <laughs> They're going out on the road to either dig a ditch or cut down weeds or whatever they have to do for that day. Um, and here's where we learn, you know, the be well, we learn about the beginnings of the pranks that get played and the consequences of those jokes and pranks. Uh, one of the new guys, he's already gotten a name, it's called Alibi because he swears he didn't do it. Um, he pays a dollar uh, to Coco to take Coco's job just sweeping up because that's the easy job for the day. Uh, so he gives Coco the dollar um, and, you know, they're jabbering back and forth. And this is where I mentioned, this is the line I mentioned earlier. We learn a little bit more about what's going on Uh with Luke and how he thinks about things. And he says, you know, you know, they asked him, you know, why he did it. You know, they, they still want to know why he cut the heads off these meters. And his, his response is, you know how it is, small town. Not much to do in the evening, mostly just settling old scores. So that's his motivation for a lot of what he does. Um, when we get to the, to the part of the road that they got to work on that day, uh, Alibi asked the boss for his broom. And <laughs> there is no broom because it was a joke. Um, and that comes back to bite Alibi in the ass just a little bit later. Uh, so he grabs his, his uh, you know, I don't even know what you call that, um, just to cut the grass, this big swinging scythe. Old school lawnmower? Yeah, something like that, to cut the grass. Uh, and then, we, you know, we just see uh, it's a day, a day on the chain gang. It's brutally hot because it's Florida and it's the summer. Um, one of the new guys, Harry Dean Stanton, his nickname is Tramp. Um, he passes out. They just basically scoop him up and chuck him in the back of the truck uh, so he doesn't die. Uh, and, you know, he's, uh, he's there. They just leave him in the truck. Um, lunchtime comes, and they serve him beans and cornbread. And that's what they get pretty much every day, I think, for lunch and dinner. Sometimes there's rice mixed in. And uh, that cornbread looked good, guys, didn't it? Yeah, let's say cornbread. I'm pretty good with cornbread. Yeah, that looked uh, – I thought it looked pretty good, actually. You know, beans are beans, but the cornbread looked good. <laughs> well, it depends on what kind of beans they are. Well, yeah, I know. But, you know, I guess eating it every day, though, would kind of suck. Um, you know. I mean, if they uh, were, like, lentils? No, they, these were beans. They look like beans. I'm beans good with lentils. Like Franks and Beans type beans. Although, you know? I'm pissed off that Carabas didn't have my lentil soup last time I went there. <laughs> <laughs> 
like God damn you, Carabas. They had minestrone, which is just vegetables, and they sure, had right. the 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 chicken whatever the hell soup. Why did you not have the most popular soup? Because <laughs> it's the most popular and it was sold out. Is no, Lent- they just didn't make it that day. They chose not to make it that day. Popular nice. soup. Yeah, well, soups are great. Don't don't even get started on soups. All right, <laughs> <clears throat> I love soup. Uh, so yeah, so while they're eating lunch, uh, Dragline and Gambler, uh, who's played by Wayne Rogers, he's claimed to fame as being Trapper John uh, in in the TV series Mash. Um, that's where you know I knew him from before this. Uh, even that goes back though, because he was only in it for a season or two. I believe maybe even only one season. I'm not sure. Um, they bet a cool drink that uh, Luke won't make the day. Um, Dragline doesn't think he'll make it. Gambler takes the bet and says, "Yeah, he will." Um, one of the new meat, one of the new meats asked about the man with no eyes, and uh, <laughs> he asked a question. He goes, "Who is that?" And he goes, "That's you know the man with no eyes, Boss Godfrey." And he says, "Does he ever talk?" And just as he does that, uh, Boss Godfrey has his rifle. And he shoots a hawk out of the sky. Uh, one shot. Nails it, Hawk drops, and Luke just says, uh, I think he just said something. <laughs> um, and again, you know, that's kind of foreshadowing as to the events that take place later, um, and it just proves that you, don't, you do not want to mess with Boss Godfrey. Um, so they are uh, done for the day, so they're all piling in the truck, and as Luke gets in the truck, he just looks at Dragline and says, you owe that fella a cool drink, because <laughs> he made it through the day. Um, and that's just another nail in Luke's coffin with Dragline. Dragline is not having it. Uh, so he just, you know, he gives him a... I gl- he got his name. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I know. I, I, it's funny because the, 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 the author did some backstories on some of the characters, but not all of them. So you really don't know. Um, you know, it must come from somebody that he met in his life at the, in the prison camps. But I, I, I don't know. Um, like- but it's... Can we speculate? Like, could it be that he's the slowest person and he would drag the line? Yeah. Or Maybe. is it like a fishing thing where you like drag uses a dragnet to fish? Yeah, that's, drag line. I immediately think of fishing. Like when I or hear that. Or does he phrase. just have like a giant like you know reason he's the alpha male and then like he drags <laughs> yeah. the thing around, <laughs> just drags right? it down the line. Just Maybe. call me drag line, boys. Hey, boy, I'm, I'm drag line. What's that line in the sand there? <laughs> <laughs> that's it. We're going with that's, that one. That's the drag line. Yeah. They were they were one day they were doing Jacksonville Beach. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what's that line? He goes, oh, exactly. I saw Lucille. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> right. So they're all in a truck to get back to camp, and we learned the consequences of Alibi's uh, back assassin, as it's called. Uh, even though he really didn't, he you know he fell for the joke. Um, you know he asked for the broom, but. Again, it, it, it goes back to the taking it off boss, taking a drink boss. I mean, it's about establishing the rules and the dominance. So uh, for that little back talking, he spends a night in the box. And the box obviously sucks because it's, it's not big enough to lay down in. You can crouch down or stand up, and that's pretty much it. You're given a bucket to shit and a bucket to piss, and you, your clothes are taken from you when you wear a nightshirt. So, and it's a brick floor. Um, almost cobblestone it's it's awful so uh it's so bad that alibi is actually weeping when they close the door um so we cut to the bunkhouse and the boys are talking about his dilemma alibi's dilemma uh coco short for coconut that's his nickname um 
you know, he regrets the joke. He, he, he says it was just a joke. You know, I, I shouldn't have done it to him. He's the new guy. He sort of regrets it. Um, there's another dude. He's <laughs> Society Red. He, he is the, the erudite, uh, you know, sophisticate in, in the group. He is from up north. He's a Yankee who got caught uh, passing bad checks down south, and that's why he's there. Um, so, Damn northerners. Yep, exactly. You know, we're, we're clouding up everything. <laughs> so he just chalks it up to a learning experience. You know, it's a lesson learned. It's a valuable lesson is what he says. Um, and even Dragline says he's not in there because of the joke. He's trying to calm Coco down because Coco's sort of his right-hand man. He's not in there because of the joke. He's there because he backsassed a free man. And, um, you know, so that's what it is. They get over it. And uh, Luke mouths off again. Uh, and, you know, he just gets stared down by Dragline. And, you know, again, it just, this just keeps building to, to a crescendo. We'll get to you in a bit. Um, the next scene, I just titled it The Girl. Because <laughs> that's what the character's called in the cast list, is The Girl. Um, and and because of, not because of this scene directly, but to keep the guys frosty in general, there were no wives allowed on set uh, during the filming because he wanted to... to in some small way, have them experience what life is like, you know, in a road gang. Um, I read somewhere also that they tried to make her get high before she sought the scene and she refused. Mm -hmm. She didn't, she didn't, at least she says that she didn't purposely um, act seductive and sexy. I'm going to call bullshit on that. I am too. 100%. 100%. 100%, All right. Either that or she is the most naive person on the planet. That could be that could be true. I mean, there's a right. moment in that scene where she straight up just, like, rings the sponge out <laughs> yes. on her breasts. Yes. Like, come on. And then touches and smears the... She <laughs> smears the foam around all over her dress. And then, you know, she's she's rubbing her chest up against the window. So, I, I, I you're right, Eric. 100%. I, I, I agree. I call bullshit on that, too. All um, I know is, in the middle of that song... I, all, I mean, all I saw in the middle of that scene, I just kept hearing one song run through my head. Yeah. Over and over <laughs> and over again. And if my computer ever starts, you'll hear it too. <laughs> yes. Here we go. They might have actually written this song after seeing the movie. Who knows? Um, Put them on the glass. Yeah. Now, the very next scene, there's a hard cut, right? So you yeah. get about oh, there's a 45, hard cut, right. 45 seconds of soapy tits right yeah. into the men's shower. And immediately it's like, oh, no. I know. Oh, no. I know. What's going to go on here? Yeah. I really but wish somebody would have yelled out, don't drop the soap. <laughs> 
it's funny because um, just just the, the lines that some of them have. Gambler's talking about this one safety pin holding that whole thing together. Pop safety pin, pop. <laughs> and and drag lines going on about Lucille. He's named her Lucille. And uh, he's yelling at Luke, you shut your mouth about my Lucille. <laughs> it's just, it's just so great. You know, I'm, whatever I've done, Lord, whatever I've done, don't strike me blind in the next couple of minutes. <laughs> like that you know? scene, like, it's like the equivalent of Game of Thrones having to put nudity and sex in there when it's not necessary for the story. Yeah, I know. I know. Like it was but, a completely unnecessary scene to the movie, mm-hmm. but I liked it. <laughs> oh, no, Definitely. <laughs> And well, yeah, I liked funny. it. The actress, <laughs> the actress was actually discovered by Groucho Marx. Joy Harmon's her name. She was discovered by Groucho Marx uh, when she appeared on an episode of You Bet Your Life, his game show from the 50s. And, uh, you know, he was drawn to one thing. <laughs> yeah, I bet he was. <laughs> Just as everyone else was. Uh, so, yeah, he discovered Ready her. Ready to get Danny into... McBride to say it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, Eric nailed it. It's a quick cut, and, and the shower scene is very short. Um, it's, and again, it establishes... Um, I hope it's it, a cold shower. Yeah, it might have been. It establishes Baba Lugat's insanity. Because, you know, there's a bunch of men in the shower, and there's some of them that are real close together. It's tight quarters. And, and Baba Lugat's is singing Old MacDonald How to Farm. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts quacking like a duck. And half the guys want to beat his ass, and half the guys are defending him and, and, and you know, protecting him. It's just an odd scene. It's another scene that it, it didn't do anything. It didn't establish, it didn't move anything forward. It was just there for like 30 seconds, and it was gone. So, um, you know, that might be my only gripe in the whole movie. Um, it was just a little weird. Uh, lights out. Now we, we cut back to the bunkhouse. It's lights out. It is crazy hot. Nobody can sleep. Everybody's tossing and turning. Um, Dragline is going on about Lucille. He can't shut up about it, and it's driving everybody nuts. Luke tells him to stop, uh, which is actually the last straw uh, for Dragline. He is absolutely done with Luke. Um, he looks at him and says, you better be ready tomorrow because I'm going to beat your ass in, in so many words because um, it's Saturday. So the grab ass can, can you know be covered by officially sanctioned fights. <laughs> yeah. Um, the cool thing about this scene that I love, it's one of my favorite cinematic uh, pieces in the movie, is that after he says that and we know the fight's coming, uh, the camera pans to, to the floor walker, you know, walking walk the aisle there. It pulls back from him and starts zooming in on the big wall fan that tries to keep everybody cool. And as it gets closer, the sound, the grinding sound that this fan is making, because it's laboring from the heat, gets louder and louder and louder, just basically to build up and to create a crescendo. Because it hard cuts from that to um, drag line, just popping Luke square in the face with a right. Okay, and Luke goes flying. Uh, so now we're in the fight scene, um, and this is where a lot of things change in the movie as far as uh, relationship dynamics and such. It's pretty cool. Um, Luke gets a couple of shots in here and there. They have no effect on drag line because he's so much bigger and stronger. Uh, Dragline's beating the living shit out of him. I mean, it's it, 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 it's bad. The crowd's going nuts. They're loving every minute of it until they're not because it gets to be overkill. Um, he's putting such a beating on Luke, mainly because Luke is Luke, and he will not stay down. It's just not in his nature. Even if it's in his best, you know, it's the best thing for him, he doesn't stay down. So he keeps getting up, and Dragline keeps beating the shit out of him. And it gets to the point where the crowd is actually silent. 
They just com- they go completely silent. And there's even guys in the crowd asking them, just you know, somebody's got to stop this because they're worried that Dragline is going to kill them. Um, you know, they keep telling him, you know, even Dragline when when Luke's on the ground, you know, he tells him to stay down, but Luke says you're going to have to kill me. And Dragline says, you know, in his head, he's like, that's it. He walks away, um, leaving Luke on the ground. Uh, another great scene. They use a lot of pullbacks, uh, camera pullbacks in this movie, and I love the way they do it because, uh, you know, Dragline walks, you know, there's a big circle of guys with Luke in the middle, and Dragline walks off towards the bunkhouse, and uh, Luke's, Luke's theme starts again um, just to establish that this is Luke. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he walks away. Uh, the thing you can tell, another cool dynamic in this scene is they, they – cut to they intersperse cuts of the bosses and the captain watching this thing and you can tell that their interpretation of what's going on is way different they can see the dynamic that i mentioned the relationship dynamic changing and they can see that the hold that luke is going to have over the whole crew they can see it like forming now and it concerns them um so you know they they would have preferred to see him get killed to be honest with you you can even tell because they know that there's trouble ahead because he's establishing a foothold and you can see that before the scene fades out um so we're back in the bunkhouse now um, well, let me let me yeah, yeah, jump sure. in real quick i related to that scene hard because i was in a fight like that <laughs> when oh, no. i was watching this scene it took me back to high school and there was this huge football player of a kid um and at much like Luke, like I just was starting shit for no reason at all. Right, right. So we're on a school bus and someone threw like a piece of paper at the back of this kid's head. He turned around and he thought it was me. Oh, boy. So naturally, I said, yes, it was me. Fuck <laughs> oh, you. Oh, wow. Right? Look at you. So he says, okay, I'm, I, the bus stops in front of my house. He says, I'm coming to your house after school. Be ready. So you zoom into my fan and he comes to my house with his friends this kid has got like two feet on me. Like I was a, I was oh a, oh my God. And as soon as I opened the door, I said, uh, I see you brought your friends. Like as if he needed to. <laughs> so we go outside and I've never been th- hit this hard in my entire life. Like before or since, like he hit me so hard oh, that wow. when I like, re- you know, I was shook, but when I yeah. took my surroundings in again, all I could think to myself was, how did I get on the other side of the street? <laughs> but I kept getting hit and knocked down, and I the instinct was just to pop back up, pop back okay. up. Okay, all right. And much like the way this scene played out, his friends started to like, you know, initially they were cheering yes. and stuff, then they started to get concerned. They were like, you got you to gotta stop. Like, he's not, he keeps getting up. Right, right. So yeah, watching this was a cool moment for me because I was like, "Oh man, this That's is interesting." Yeah. Well, you know what? You 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 probably gained some respect or respect from him and from his friends from that that you that you didn't stay down like that. I don't. I don't who knows? Uh, you would think that's the thought process, but you know, you're talking about an unhinged, unhinged person. So oh yeah, no boys at that age, it's true. Like the next day, he he even offered to say like you know because I came in with black eyes and everything. Oh yeah. He offered to say like I won't tell anybody what happened. Wow. Okay. So you did. So you earned his respect. I'm not saying that's what you should do, but that's uh, that's cool. See, where I grew up, it was all about fucking crews. So like, no one would do that shit because they'd get jumped by the rest of your fucking crew. 
I didn't have a crew. I was. Oh, I, I was. Uh, yeah, I, I, I looked like a little Puerto Rican Sid Vicious man. I, I was a big target. <laughs> we were like a fucking gang of like skateboarder, fucking punk, like anarchists. Like no one fucked with us. Wow. Well, I, I wish I would have known you then, Joe. Yeah. Oh, I would have had you back. I, I appreciate that. I, I had this one guy. Um, and it's funny because I had like eight friends named Chris, so we had to like have distinctions for them. Like there was backflip Chris because he did backflips. <laughs> there was like Indian Chris because he was West Indian from Guyana. Holy um, shit! And then there was Black Chris because he was the black dude named Chris, and he was the skateboarder. But Black Chris was the craziest Chris of all. How Doug like, is a white. He oh. did not give a fuck about anything like wow. if, if if anybody did anything he would and automatically say it was him because he wanted to get in a fight like he loved oh, to fight so this one dude like got pissed off at this guy because the guy had like he had like talked shit to a girl he was trying to hook up with or something and like um the guy basically got, got cb'd on the whole deal so he went over to his house one day and the guy drove like a brand new Mustang convertible, cut a hole in the convertible and put the hose in it and filled that bitch up like a fish tank. Holy oh, fuck. So um, when the kid came over and like asked, like he, you know, he thought he did it. He came over there with black wrist, jumped up and goes, I did that shit, motherfucker. I'll do it again, too. Wow. <laughs> beat the shit out of him. And the kid was like a little fucking douchebag. So he deserved it. But it was still pretty fucking funny. Man, I I lived such a sheltered life compared to you guys. <laughs> I told you, I grew up in the fucking hood. <laughs> the last fight I had was like in fourth grade. <laughs> oh, no, we were in trouble and in fights Man. all the time. Nope. We were running away from the police every other weekend. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hey, you made it this far, so you're good. It's all yeah. good. Well, right? Once I had, grew up and had kids, you know, you yeah. had to stop that shit. Nice. Okay. All right, so, uh, yeah, you know, again, the, the, the bosses and the captain had a different perspective on that. They were concerned. Uh, so we, we cut to inside the bunkhouse, and uh, people are, the, the guys are playing cards. The, you know, it's obviously something to pass the time. They can, you know, place their bets and get their dollars rolling around. So uh, Luke this time is involved. You know, he's black and blue and bruised, uh, but he's playing. And he looks completely disinterested, though. He's not even looking at anybody. And when, you know, it comes to his turn, I apologize if that's not, a, you know, the way you call a poker hand. I don't play poker. But <laughs> oh, bullshit. He, I've heard all your Vegas stories. Yeah, exactly. So uh, he just he just says, kick a buck. So he's raising every hand. He keeps raising. Kick a buck over and over and over again. He's driving the guys nuts. He's getting them to fold one by one because they swear he's got, you know, the best hand ever. Uh, finally, it's just him and Coco. And Coco's asking Dragline for advice, and Dragline's telling him to raise him back, raise him back. And uh, at one point, you know, he, he says, kick a buck again, and Coco looks at him, and, uh, and Dragline goes, don't look at me, because <laughs> he doesn't know what to do. So they swear he's got a pair of kings, he's going to lose it. And uh, they flip over the cards, you know, Coco folds, Luke wins. Uh, they flip over his cards, and Dragline looks at him, and he's got nothing. And that's when he says he beat you with nothing. Just like today when he kept coming at me with nothing. And Luke looks, and this is one of my favorite lines. I think it's tagged. It's probably in the top 100 of, of famous quotes in movies. Uh, but you know, he's smiling. And he goes, yeah, well, sometimes nothing could be a real cool hand. And, you know, that's a line that grabbed me and made me love this movie, I think, uh, when, when he said it. And Luke finally gets his nickname. Cool hand, Luke. Cool hand, Luke. All right. He gets, he gets his nickname and he gets everyone's respect, including Dragline. 
um, which is cool. Um, so we got a, a quick work and back to camp montage they threw in there. I, I don't know, maybe they had a you know a quota for movie length and they had to put that in there for ten seconds, but it was there. Um, it's at this point, it, it's 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 another reason why I love the movie because of the way it was framed and structured. So we just come out of a scene that establishes, you know, the respect Luke has from everybody else in the camp. So he's almost on a high. He, he might not consider it that. But the viewer, you know, we're, we're, we're happy for Luke, you know. And then the very next scene is visiting day. And so he gets told he's got a visitor. And Luke goes outside to see his mom, Arletta, in uh, the back of a pickup truck because she is uh, she's laid up. I mean, she's an invalid. Uh, it, she's probably got TB or cancer, lung cancer or something. Um, she doesn't have long to live, so she wants to come visit her boy. And it sucks the life out of you watching this film. What do you guys think? Did it, did it like wreck you like it wrecked me? Yeah, this was rough stuff, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, there's a lot of emotion going on in this, in this thing. Uh, you listen to Arletta. Uh, who's played by Joe Van Fleet, and I, I honestly I didn't know her, but I looked up her her uh, you know her background, and her biggest role that I knew was she played Big Nose Kate Fisher in Gunfight at the OK Corral, the 1957 mm. version with Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster, two of my favorite actors ever. Um, so she played that role, and it, I, she she played it. She probably got a hundred credits to in her list, but um, she played Arletta really well. The role was originally supposed to go to Betty Davis, but they just couldn't work it out. And Arletta was only 11 years older than Paul Newman when they shot this. But, you know, they, they, the makeup effects and just the fact that she was laid up in bed and she was smoking, it, it just definitely gave the effect that that's her mom, his mom. Yeah. Um, also, people didn't live as long back then. No, exactly. Exactly. But th- this, this scene absolutely wrecked me emotionally because... You know, in one second, you can tell that she's supremely disappointed in him. But then you understand, you know, she goes as far as to say she wished people were like dogs because a bitch can eventually forget her pups. And it's like soul-sucking to hear her say that. Yeah. But she's disappointed. We come to learn in listening to her talk, she's disappointed in him because she had such high hopes for him. She's his favorite. She flat out says, tells him that, that she's, he's her favorite that his brother John basically means nothing to her that she she had to tell Luke that she's she's willing the house to John because I never gave him anything so I have to make up for it because you've always been my favorite um there's a lot of reveals in this conversation we find out that that well like I said that Luke is our latest favorite uh we find out that Luke's dad he never met his dad his dad was a deadbeat um Arletta loved Loved his dad's sense of humor and felt Luke would have loved it too, but the guy skipped out before Luke was born. So he so it sounds like someone else who uh, Luke's considerably uh, linked to theologically. Right, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Again, we see these religious undertones. Um, you, you know, a fatherless boy growing up as an outcast. Exactly, exactly, Joe. Um, you know. We find out that he had a girlfriend, maybe even a fiance, who left him for a salesman. And Arletta's Probably great line about line. that. What's that? <laughs> Probably drag line. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Arletta's great line about that is, well, she goes, yeah, but you were so boring trying to be 
trying to be straight with her. And, and we were bored with you, so we were happy when you came back, you know. So it, it's just, it, it's such a, a crazy dynamic between the two of them. Um, you know, so it was rough. It was rough to watch. It really was. Um, it, it was a rough scene, but I will say it was also very jarring because right before he walks out to meet her, there's this weird jump rope thing happening in the in the yard. <laughs> I know. Like the like, I had to rewind it a few times. I even called my wife. Yeah, in the room. Yeah, I was like, "Look yeah. at this." Yeah, it those, is. It's the most gleeful. Like, yes, <laughs> those two dudes. Those two dudes are definitely together, because yeah. later in it, later in the in the movie, they're arm wrestling on the ground. Um, they spent a lot of time together. So they, they stayed in the shower a little longer than me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so you know, yeah. So you know, and and. and Luke, Luke lays it out to Arletta that, you know, it was t- it's been tough for me because I'm carrying you and John around with me, like the way you feel about me. And she's like, well, we, you know, we always thought you were strong enough to carry the load. So there's a lot going on in here. And it's definitely the beginning of the end, like of this movie. Um, it, it, it starts this cycle, that, this downward spiral. Um, and then to end that scene, you know, Luke's brother walks. Luke's brother John walks up to him and gives him a banjo, and his only the only thing his brother says to him is, "Now there ain't nothing to come back for," meaning when you get out of here, don't come home. Yeah, I don't want you. Mom don't want you. Nobody wants you. Don't come home. So, yeah, it, it wrecked me. It wrecks me every time I watch that movie. I fucking cry like a baby. <laughs> I'm serious. Um, and, but it's what makes the movie great. That's the thing. It's, it's what makes this movie great. Um, we get another great uh, pullback shot. I mentioned that earlier that, that, that Rosenberg does this a lot. Um, and as we pull back, we hear Harry Dean Stanton, and it's not the only time. We mentioned Harry Dean Stanton being a, a, an accomplished musician. Uh, he's singing us out with a hymn. Um, you know, and he's done, he does that quite a few times throughout the movie. Uh, he's got a really sweet voice. And, uh, you know, he can strum, strum the cowboy chords and get it done. Um, so it's cool stuff. Um, so I get, you know, again, to, to establish the great pacing of this movie, we go from a very down and depressing scene to the next scene uh, where they are, the, the crew is, is tarring a road. And interestingly enough, the crew actually tarred that road. Yep. <laughs> okay. That's what they did was real. And they did it in agreement to shoot the movie there, um, I guess, in lieu of a tax credit or whatever happened back in the 60s when they shot movies in places. Um, but, yeah, they, uh, they did that. Um, so they're tarring the road, and they're, they're you know, drag lines leading the pace, and the pace is slow because they know they've got to work for eight hours or whatever it is. Uh, Luke's having none of that, okay? He starts picking up the pace, and drag lines telling him to slow down. But again, he's having none of it. He starts picking up the pace. And Dragline, he just, the switch flips and he gets into it. He's like, all right, what the hell? So these guys, the whole crew, as one unit, just turn up the speed knob to, to 11. And they plow through this tarring. And they do it so quickly, they get to the end of the road without even realizing it. <laughs> and it's like, we ran out of road. And they realize they got two hours left of daylight. So... They can now just go back and, you know, get in the truck and just go back to camp and hang out. And that's never happened before. Um, so, I mean, that establishes Luke's role almost as the leader, the spiritual leader, so to speak, 
of this crew of misfits and, and, and outcasts. Um, you know, Dragline looks at him, and it's another one of my favorite lines. Oh, Luke, you big, beautiful thing. You crazy head full of nothing. And then Luke's theme starts once again. Um, the bosses, as I mentioned earlier, are not amused because they know what's happening. And this definitely creates a, a very tough situation for them to keep the dominance uh, that they have. So, um yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a cool scene, and it's nice the way they picked you back up after Rosenberg picked you back up after just completely deflating you with the visitation scene. Um, so we go back to the bunkhouse again because, I mean, the one thing about this movie is there's really not a lot of locations because, you know, <laughs> these guys are in prison. So you're either in prison or you're out working. Uh, back at the bunkhouse, it's another one of those hot nights. No one could sleep. But we notice that Dragline is totally on the loop train now. Luke is his guy, right? They're going to they're gonna shoot the moon, uh, the two of them. That's, that's in his head what's going to happen. Uh, they, there's nothing that they won't be able to do. You know, thinking back about it now, Lucille is the female version of Luke. Right. There you go. Oh, uh, Joe, see you nailed it. Yep. <laughs> You're 100%. That's he was so already great. getting into it. That's so great. I knew I loved you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. That's absolutely it. Without even knowing it, that's the way Dragline went. I love that. Um, so, yeah, like I said, he's on the loop train. So he, you know, Dragline is known to embellish the truth. <laughs> he loves telling a good story. Um, Society Red calls him on it, but, you know, um, Dragline just, you know, he, he calls him a liar. And Dragline just lays it out, you know, basically saying I embellish the truth. You know, I like telling a good tale. He, tell, he talks about how he's seen Luke eat 10 chocolate bars and drink you know, seven sodas in 15 minutes and he could eat busted bottles and rusty nails. And, you know, um, <laughs> Luke, Luke takes this opportunity to do the Luke thing and just, you know, just let loose with something that's completely crazy just because there's no reason for it. So he just jumps up and, and says, I can eat 50 eggs. And everybody looks at him. Even, even Dragline looks at him like he's nuts. Nobody can eat 50 eggs. That's what Dragline says. Nobody can eat 50 eggs. But, of course, because there's nothing else to do in camp, and it's a great opportunity to get some bet, betting action going, they're going to do it, see if he can eat 50 eggs in one hour. Um, we cut to the training, the quick training montage. It's a mini Rocky montage. <laughs> Luke, Luke's sort of jogging around the compound, and, and, and Dragline's jogging with him and, Dragline rubs his belly, trying to stretch his belly muscles out. And, um, you know, later that night, the night before the contest, he goes over to the boss in the cage and he says, I, I, I need a brown bomber and a dose of salts. And I looked it up, so I'll read the description of what that actually is. Um, the brown bomber and a dose of salts is, was a nickname for a combination of senna tablets and milk of magnesia. The senna was a stimulant, stimulant laxative. And the milk of magnesia was a saline laxative. So it was just to clear his system out the night before so he'd have more room. Um, so he happily drinks the stuff so he's ready to go. Um, and uh, we, uh, we, we cut scenes to basically wake up to contest day. Um, we see eggs being cooked up in the kitchen and brought over in, in hats uh, by the dozens to get ready. Uh, they have a brief argument about the peeling of the eggs. You know, the guys who are betting against Luke want Luke to have to peel the eggs, and Dragline, as as the alpha, lays down the law. They have a, they have a little discussion about who makes the rules, and you know he makes it plain that he makes the rules. They all know that. 
uh, so they get to peel the eggs uh, beforehand. Um, he starts off, you know, starts off super fast, popping those eggs down, and um, you know that obviously slows down as time goes on. Um, at one point, <laughs> Luke's standing up, and uh, Gambler walks over and thumps his belly. And they actually used the, the they recorded a watermelon being thumped because it sounded exactly the same. Um, they thumped his belly, and he even said it's like a ripe watermelon about to bust itself open. Um, so, interestingly enough, uh, Paul Newman didn't eat a single egg. <laughs> no, he ate eight. Well, he ate eight, but he threw them all up. Oh yeah, like, yeah. He in between, when they would yell "cut," he would run out of a garbage pail or a sink and puke them up. I don't, I don't blame him. That's like my oh, worst no. nightmare. I hate eggs. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like a hard-boiled egg, but Ugh. you know, I can't even think of like three of them, let alone fifty. You know, eggs are the most disgusting thing there is. I feel like I yeah. could do it. Really? Yeah. No, I can yeah. eat a hundred chicken nuggets. Deviled well, eggs. Uh, I could put away some deviled eggs, man. Yeah, I mean, I, devil eggs, I love devil eggs. And the nugget thing, I don't think I'd have an, a problem with that at all. Like 100 chicken McNuggets from McDonald's? I could do it. Yeah, I think I think that I could do. I agree with you there. Um, so, you know. Okay, who's honking? Uh-oh. That's, that's <laughs> on my end. Yeah. Somebody's having problems outside. Someone's cutting down parking meters. Uh-oh. <laughs> we got a real that's not your car, is it? Out here. No. <laughs> uh, oh, well. A bunch of honkies. <laughs> there we go. Kind of like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know they 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 do a great Rosenberg does a great job of keeping up the suspense. Is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? Um, you know, a lot of quick cuts and and and, and such. Um, you know, they, they, he so sows the seed of doubt that it's not going to happen. Uh, with a few seconds left, Luke puts the last egg in his mouth. Um, he's laying on his back at this point. And, um, you know, Society Red, when it's all said and done and the hour's up, he says, ah, but he didn't swallow the last egg, but we open up Luke's mouth and it's gone. He did it. He finished all 50 eggs. And that smile, that Luke smile, that Paul Newman smile just just spreads across his face. And because and, that's what it's all about. Again, it's never planning ahead. He's never planning ahead. He's never thinking about the consequences. He sets a goal, sets a task. And when he's done, he smiles about it because he, he did it, you know, and that's what makes him happy. And when he's um, laid out, he's uh, laid out like another certain somebody. Yeah, there you go. He might look a little bit like Jesus on the cross, uh, cross legs and all. Um, that was obviously very deliberate um, because, again, he is Christ-like in the eyes of these guys. I mean, you know, he, he's the one that's going to get him through. Uh, so we've got the eggs done. Um, I'm just trying to see. I do have some notes. Yeah, I mean, the notes are about the eggs. We talked about that, so that's all good. Um, the next scene, the boys are back at work. Um, they get startled. Coco gets startled by a, a rattlesnake. And, um, you know, the rattlesnake is moving, and the boys are jumping as it's moving. Luke, because he's Luke, he picks up the rattlesnake, holds it by his tail, uh, and uh, Boss Godfrey uh, one-shots it in the head. You know, he pulls the trigger, and that head disappears. Um He's, I didn't think he sassed the boss too much, but he pissed off <laughs> Boss Godfrey, you know, by by letting him know what a good shot he is because he did say it in a Luke sort of way. Um, you know, even Dragline tells him to cool it. You can't piss off the, the man with no eyes. Um, so it's just it's an it's another it's another mark against him in in Boss Godfrey's eyes. So right then it starts raining really hard. So they call the day, and the guys are getting in the truck and. 
because Luke got called out by drag line and you know maybe realized he mouthed off. Um, he in the middle of the rain, and th- and it's funny because there are there are scenes here that to me tie directly to like the Sh- Shawshank Redemption. You can tell it's Stephen King when he wrote that book, and even more so Frank Darabont when he when he wrote the movie. There are there are definitely callbacks to to Cool Hand Luke. Just the rain scene in general. Um, the rain scene also reminded me of uh, Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump. Yeah, where he's calling out. So Luke is calling out God. Luke is Luke is basically calling God to the table to have a conversation about why his life is the way it is. And um, his comment at the end of that conversation that he's had is just standing in the rain talking to myself. So, you know, he's having a crisis of faith, whether he had faith or not to begin with, it is, is kind of hard to tell. He's tried. You can tell it throughout his life. He's tried, but he's never connected. And, and he feels, he, he doesn't feel more lost than he does now. Um, so it, it, it's an interesting conversation. Um, and, Boss Godfrey again. It's another. It's another tick in the, in the red, because Boss Godfrey looks at him and knows that this is coming to a head, and that there's you know something's going to have to happen uh, for him. So um, we now are back in the bunkhouse. It's loan settling time. Uh, so I guess you know the boys have their system where you're either uh, borrowing or paying back, uh, and they they must settle up once a week or something. So. Um, the the guy tattoo uh the whose nickname tattoo he's one of the new guys that came in he needs to borrow five bucks and luke is the guy to decide whether you get the money but he decides by flipping a coin um you know well, so tattoo the, the reason that? That they were doing this is because they just won all the money in the camp with the egg thing right yeah exactly So nobody has any money at this point right because yeah as the egg contest w- w- was going on people were betting more and more the betting ran almost till the end so you're right people they, were betting they even money said they at one have. point that's all the money in the camp right exactly so uh so he is he's settling in and um you know settling his bets and 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 such while that's taking place uh one of the bosses comes in and gives uh the floor walker car uh a note and he reads it and he and he gets dejected and he has to go tell you know give this note to luke and Luke finds out that Arletta passed, and you can tell he's completely wrecked by it. Um, the boys know what's in the letter. They see it. Uh, so they're all giving him distance. Um, they let him go to his bunk without even going to their bunks. They're going to let him work this out on his own. Uh, he goes over to his bunk. He picks up the banjo, and he starts to play, and he sings Plastic Jesus for, for his mom. Uh, it was one of her favorite tunes, and he's going to sing it for her. Uh, he doesn't do a great job, and that's partially because Paul Newman never got the hang of the banjo. He tried. Um, Harry Dean Stanton uh, tried to instruct him on the banjo and did his best. Um, and Newman kept trying, and he wanted to keep trying and ended up having a shouting match with Rosenberg because he wanted to keep doing takes. But Rosenberg finally said cut and print because he just didn't want to waste any more time on it. It was good enough. And there might have been some dubbing, after dubbing, who knows, to get it a little bit straight because there are some cuts where you really don't see Luke's hands on the banjo. Um, so, you know, but whatever it works. He, he's mourning his mom. He's singing a favorite song. And uh, this is another nail in his coffin, figuratively and literally. Um, it completely wrecked him. Uh, this scene also wrecked me. <laughs> The next scene, uh, they wake up the next morning and the, and the guys are getting ready to get in the truck, go to work. And Luke gets called out of the line. 
and the captain comes over and tells him that um, he's going in the box because guys that lose their mom have a tendency to rabbit, and they need to let that happen. They need to let her funeral happen and keep him locked up so it doesn't he doesn't take off. And you know, as we learn later, it has the opposite effect. It just it, again, it's a what he referenced earlier. It's about settling a score now. He's got a score to settle with Captain, and he's going to do it in his own way. Um, one of the, I think his boss, Keen, even looks at Luke and says, you know, as he's putting him in the box, and he says, just doing my job. And Luke flat out says, calling it your job, don't make it right. And the guy looks introspective for a second, but later returns into a prick, just like all the other <laughs> bosses. You know, <laughs> you, you kind of feel for the guy for a half a second, but then, like I said, later he just turns into a, a judgmental prick. Um, Luke spends two days in the box just to make sure he doesn't leave for his mom's funeral. Um, when thinking about it, she lives down the road. They could have brought him <laughs> with a card to I the know, fucking funeral. You know, but that's not the way they did things back then. Um, so Luke's starting to plot and plan. Uh, you know, we're getting closer to the climax of this movie. And um, we're back in the bunkhouse. Oh, we got, we got the climax way, early, way a while back. Yeah, during no, the car washing scene. That, that was go. the climax. Everybody did. <laughs> um, we're in the bunkhouse. It's 4th of July. Guys are having a celebration. They're singing. They're dancing. Our, our favorite jump rope and arm wrestling guys are dancing with each other. Um, you know, it, it's just everything's happening. But we, we come to find out very quickly that the reason these guys are being so loud is that Luke is digging through the floor. He's, he's chopping up the wood in the floor so he can escape. Um, because, again, it, 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 he's settling a score. He wasn't allowed to escape. He was locked up because he thought he would escape, so now he's going to escape because, fuck him, that's what he thinks. You know, th- this is going to be m- my way of righting the wrong that was done to me. Now I will escape. Uh, so, you know, as, they, as uh, the, the bosses come in and tell him to quiet down, Luke and Tattoo sneak out. It's funny calling this guy Tattoo because his, his nickname was given way before Fantasy Island, and he certainly doesn't <laughs> look like Hervé Villachez, but... Um, <laughs> you know. The plane bus. Exactly. That ain't him. He's just got a big uh, mermaid tattoo in his chest because he was in the Navy. Uh, they sneak out. Uh, but it's, we quickly realized the tattoo did it as a distraction. He wasn't trying to escape. He wanted to ge- keep the boss's focus on him while Luke got out because that's how much they revere Luke. That's how much they respect. And they follow, basically, again, as, as you know, sort of that religious figure. They follow him. So he's willing to take the time in the box to help Luke get out. Uh, so we cut to the next day with Luke on the run. Um, you can tell that this first attempt, his first attempt uh, to escape, isn't really an attempt to escape. It's, again, about settling those scores because all he's doing is messing with the dogs. He's messing with the bosses. You know, he, he's jumping over a fence, and he's jumping back over the fence and then back over the fence again. And, uh, you know, uh, he's climbing on wires over rivers just to screw with the dogs. He's... He's probably only a mile from the camp, you know, because um, he's just messing it. It's about more about the thrill of the chase than anything else. Um, and you can there's – there's a rumor and a story that during this scene, in the, in the movie anyway, I mean in the theatrical release apparently, when he jumps off the bridge into the river, later the dogs and, and, and dog boy jump off that bridge too. And one of the dogs, and then I'm finding, I had a problem finding details as to whether this was an accident or it was real, but obviously the dog didn't die. That 
the dog's collar gets caught on the bridge, and that's how the dog dies in the next scene when they bring the dog in. Um, but it, they cut it out. They, in, in subsequent VHS and DVD and online releases, it's, it's not there. That doesn't take place. And even when, and I don't know how they did this, though, because in the next scene, um, Dog Boy, the, the, the inmate who, who, you know, runs the dogs, he comes back with the sheriff and he pulls his dog Blue out of the trunk, dead. Um, and doesn't talk about being hung. All he says he died of exhaustion. So I don't know if they shot it twice. I, it was really hard finding concrete information on that. But uh, On the, on the trivia any, side of things, do either of you guys know, was that a real dead dog? I was just going to ask. I don't know because that was the most... It, <coughs> It's almost like, and you know, because back then, I don't even know if the Humane Society was involved in the making of movies. It's like they fucking drug that dog. Like, I can't see them killing a dog, right? Maybe but they just I think found they, a dead dog on the side of the road. Like, oh, this will uh, work. Uh, maybe, because at the very least, they gave that dog a Mickey, and it was flat out <laughs> unconscious. Yeah, I because think it was limp. That was real. I mean, they, they, this, because they didn't have the technology back then CG or, or practical effects to make the dog look that real. That thing was real. The tongue was hanging out and everything. So yeah, I'm not sure about that. It's another thing I try to find, but you know, it's funny, the further back you go with the movie, there's sometimes a lot less concrete information you can find about it. Um, yeah. but it was definitely a realistic scene. And you know, at, as big of a prick as dog bite was, you know, you felt bad for him cause he loved that dog is my boy blue. <laughs> You're um, my boy blue. Exactly. You know, uh, so, uh, well, okay, the bunkhouse, 4th of July, right, we got the dog. Um, yeah, so the gang is back at work, and um, the car pulls up with Luke in it, who's still defiant. Um, he can't help himself. He settled the score with, with the captain, but the captain's going to get the last word in here. Um, so... He, it's funny because the captain talks about they're, they're adding the chains to the, his, his ankle chains. And captain talks to him about the fact that he'll get used to the chains, but he's never going to get used to the clanking that they make. <laughs> and Luke's, Luke's response is, I wish you'd stop being so good to me, captain. Um, that does not go over well. Uh, the captain takes out a blackjack and, you know, he cracks him right in the back of the neck, shoulder. Luke goes tumbling down the hill. And... Um, we come to the, uh, it's the quintessential quote and the quintessential soliloquy of this movie. And, you know, again, the quote we're talking about is failure to communicate. It's, I think it was number 50 or 40 on the top 100 quotes of all time in movie history. And I completely respect and agree with that because it, it, it's, I mean, you know, um, uh, yeah, who, what song is it? Sorry. My old man brain's kicking in. What what song? Who used Guns N' Roses? Guns N' Roses Civil War. Yeah, Guns N' Roses Civil War. It, it starts off with that song. And the quote's been used a hundred times. It's even, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know it what year. It was in Lost. What's that? It was in Lost. Yes, exactly. That's that's um, the version I always say of it, too. Like, is, is the, when the, um, the others capture them and have them in the cages. Yes. And uh, the big dude, I can't remember his name in the show, Tom or something. And he goes, what we have here. Is yeah. a failure to communicate. Yeah, Tom Friendly. That's Tom that Friendly. Yeah. The yeah. way he says it is, is uh, I mean, when I watch this movie, it like, 
and I got it queued up here to play. All right, good, good. But when he says it, it doesn't sound right to me for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, yeah, I, I only know his. Of it. And a bit of trivia. Um, I mentioned this to you guys off air a couple weeks back. Um, Struther Martin hosted SNL, right, in the 70s at some point with the original cast. And they did a takeoff on this, which is one of the funniest SNL bits ever, where Struther Martin is the captain of a French camp for kids. <laughs> <laughs> and it's run like the prison camp. And um, Bill Murray is the kid who escapes. Uh. And they bring him... They, they bring him back, the, cap, you know, the, the bosses bring him back, and, and Struther Martin lays into him um, and does the failure to communicate speech, but then he starts making him say French words <laughs> until he completely conforms, and he's, one, he's backed as one of the other kids who's speaking. The, and they're all dressed, the kids in the camp are all dressed like a mime. They have a black and white striped shirt <laughs> with a beret, and it's just one of the best ones ever, and it's great that Struther Martin did it, you know? Um, so, with that said, Joe, let's cue this bad boy up. Uh, what we've got here is failure to communicate. Some men you just can't reach. So you get what we had here last week, which is the way he wants it. Well, he gets it. I don't like it any more than you, man. Yeah, so we get the line, and, and every time I hear it, when he says it, it just doesn't—it it doesn't have the same like uh, what I what I'm thinking because he's like got a higher pitched voice and like a real southern. Yeah, kinda... he's, he's got a very interesting uh, vocal quality. You know, it's like he wants to be the, like the parent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want... This is going to hurt you way more than it's going to hurt me. Okay? Okay? Drugs are bad, okay? <laughs> like, his voice just sounds so, like, not like a big, bad, like, I'm the boss. He just sounds like this little, like, guy that, like, you know, I'm in this power position, in this position of power, and I, I, I really don't want to be in this position of power, but I'm here, so... You need to do what I say to do, okay? Mm-hmm, okay? Mm-hmm. It's also his delivery of the word communicate that throws yeah. me. Yeah, it's like two-faced, like, what we have here is a failure. Communicate. Get, get, get. <laughs> it's like the pacing's off. I'm like, <laughs> you should be like, that should be the word that, like, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Like, well, stretch that thing out. Like, stretch it out, make it, yeah. Stretch make it, it sound like Karen talking to the manager. Oh, God, if I was a Karen and I go into a store, I'm going to say that. <laughs> it's like, you're like, sir, you can't return this. It's out of the box and you don't have a receipt. Uh, you see here, sir, what we have is a failure to communicate. Okay, okay. Well, to you know, the, the one little bit of trivia I did see is, you know, the big issue with that line is that it doesn't make sense because the vocabulary just doesn't track with, you know, this, like, dumb, dumb Southern. And so they invented, like, a backstory for this guy that he was, like, into higher learning and and just to cope with the fact that he was able to spew failure to communicate so effortlessly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems like... uh... That would have been better delivered, like, on the second time that he was getting arrested. Yeah, I agree. Because, like, the first time, it's like, well, 
you didn't really communicate to me what would happen if I ran away. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, that's on you. That's on you. Yeah, but have, I, I mean, I get the importance of the line, especially at, you know when we get to the ending. It's mega important, you know. But uh, yeah, it as iconic as it is, and I do get it. You know, like I agree with Doug. It's it's you know it deserves to be where it's at. Um, I mean, I I knew that line, and like I said, I'd never seen this movie. I thought I did. But it's just permeated pop culture in such a way where, you know, uh, failure to communicate ends up like in other references and other... You mentioned Lost, like, you know, it's just crazy. Yeah, that's hey. that's the one where I'm used to hearing it from. Is the, I, think it's, it's, I think it was Lost. I think it was Tom that says it. Yeah, it was. I'm going to look and, it up and see if I can... And pro, pro tip, if you want to be heard, unmute yourself. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're I'm like mute. we're like we're gonna keep carrying this on. I know we're, like, we're doing that I'm subtle mute. cover, you know. I know I I muted myself to pour beer while while the while the the clip was running, and then I had everything that you talked about, Eric, about you know the backstory. I was talking over you. <laughs> I'm like, wow, these guys are being real rude. <laughs> we're like, where's Doug at? And then Joe messaged me. Goes, are you there? Like, yeah, I'm here. Anyway, yeah. So <laughs> I thought you the, had to go take like an emergency nah. dump or something. <laughs> like, the, man, ba- the backstory. So, so Eric's right. So the backstory I created is that. Uh, so the captain, as he moved through the ranks of prison guards, he took a lot of criminology courses. Courses, and that's where he got this quote knowledge and intelligence to, to lay out this quote and you guys were talking about how it might have been better a little further on along in the movie but the thing you have to remember is again all these scenes where the guys are cheering on Luke for all the crazy shit he's doing the guards and the captain are looking at it completely different they already know where he's headed and they got to nip that in the bud or they've tried already to nip into the bud so they got to make it harsher even though you know in the context of what he did specifically it might not have been the worst defense. They already know what he's going to do. They know where this is going to end up. So they tried. This is what, how they tried to stop him from doing it. So um, I know, that's my feeling on it anyway. So, um, so yeah, so we got that, we got that famous speech. Um, Luke is now back with the boys. And it's funny because Dragline, you know, he, he's so happy to see Luke and, He's thinking in his limited capacity that things are just going to go back to normal now. They got Luke back in the mix. They're just going to be have a good time every day. Everything's going to be good. But you can tell on Luke's face that he knows it's different now because he knows what he's capable of and what he's planning on doing. Because, again, it's about settling scores. You know, where Dragline doesn't have the capacity to see that. So he just thinks it's all going to be rosy and we're just going to have a good time. You know, everybody's going to do their time. We're all going to get out. It's going to be great. Um, so... We um, we are at another day of work, uh, you know, because again, that's what they do. Um, Boss Keen, the the guy who was nice for a half a second and turned into a prick, this is where he turns into a prick. Um, he he remembered Luke's conversation in the rain with God, and he realizes, or at least he feels, that Luke doesn't believe in God, and that's an affront to him personally. He can't deal with that. Um, so his his attitude towards Luke changes very quickly. Um, so, you know, at the same time, Luke asks, he needs to go relieve himself. Um, so Boss Keaton tells him, look, you got to go behind that bush over there, but you got to shake that branch so, so I know you're there. Um, Boss Godfrey picks up on this right away, gets his rifle, um, and as Luke is in the bush, you know, allegedly relieving himself, 
Boss Godfrey's firing over his head. He's firing in the in the sand around him just to keep him, what he thinks is to keep him honest. Um, but Luke's got other plans. I mean, he's got a big ball of twine that he's been messing with. He's got it tied to the branch, so it allows him to shake that branch while he runs away. Um, gives him just enough time to, to to get away. So this is his second time escaping right after the first getting caught the first time. Um, and he's on his way. So uh, the next scene we come to is... Luke coming uh, up on somebody's property in a town. Uh, there's two little kids. They're playing outside. He meets them. You know, of course, they're curious about why he's got, you know, the, the, the ankle chains on. Um, you know, so he, he, he knows he can manipulate these kids and get them to do what he wants. So he, he asks one kid to go get an axe. Uh, he tells the kid, I bet you can't cut this, you know, cut these chains with your axe. And the kid's like, yes, I can. Let me go get my axe and I'll do it. And then he asks the other kid to bring him a bunch of spices, kind of pepper and, and you know, other spices, uh, you know, bring them back to me. Um, so he's waiting for the spices and he uses his axe to, uh, you know, he takes the axe from the kid because the kid can't swing it. Uh, he, you know, uses the axe to cut the ankle chain uh, so that he can run more freely. Uh, he takes the stripes off his pants, uh, more, to, more to tie up the chain than anything. It's not like it's going to help him blend in with the, the outfit he's wearing. Um, so, you know, he, uh, then gets the spices and sprinkles them all over, you know, where, where they're standing there. Um, and he runs off and he tells the boys, you know, you know, watch when the dogs come. So the boys are inside and they're peeking out the window and the dogs are following Luke's scent and they get to that point and, you know, they lose it and just start sneezing, uh, because they've inhaled all those, all those spices and the boys are laughing their ass off. They think it's the funniest thing You know thing how many ever. spices there were? Three. No, there's 11 secret herbs and spices. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Is that when the colonel was only a captain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, I couldn't resist Joe. the bad Zing! Joke. <laughs> we got to have a bell. We got to have a bell, Joe. We got to have a bell. Um, uh, I don't have it up. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm scared my computer's going to crash. By <laughs> <anything on the laughs> That's <screen>. true. That's <laughs> true. All right, so we are back in the bunkhouse. Uh, it's mail call. Um, we know Luke's not back yet. We don't know quite know how long it is, but uh, based on the mail that arrives, it's apparently you know quite a few weeks at least since Luke has been gone. Um, Dragline gets a, a magazine, a rolled up magazine in in, a, in, in some parcel, and uh, he first he thinks it's from his uncle in Atlanta. He's like, I haven't talked to the guy in eight years. And he sends me a magazine, you know, especially since he can't read, so it's kind of weird. Um, he starts flipping through the magazine and he comes across a photo slipped in the magazine of Luke, sur- you know, surrounded by two beautiful girls. He's wearing a tuxedo, uh, you know, like a dinner jacket and he looks handsome as ever, big smile on his face. And, um, it's signed dear boys playing it cool, Luke. And this is the best thing since sliced bread for these guys. Um, in their eyes, Luke is out. He's never coming back. He he escaped to freedom. He beat them all. Um, he settled his scores and he won. Uh, it's like he won the lottery, basically. You know, in these guys' eyes, and it it thrills them all. Um, so life goes on without Luke. The guys are bored to tears. I mean, they're bored and depressed. They miss the hell out of Luke, um, and they're bored. Just because things are, there's nothing going on now that he's not there. He was their entertainment. He he was there, the lifting spirit. He was everything to them. What are the um, chances that some of these guys, you know, did that to that picture with Luke in it? 
<laughs> uh, high. The chances are high. Yes. <laughs> That's kind of disturbing, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. If you want to, if you want to, just throw that into my favorite movie of all time, Joe. Yes, it's disturbing. <laughs> Luke could have just sent a picture of <laughs> chicks for them. He didn't even include himself nice. in it. Nice. Okay. Listen, he's a very handsome man. You know. Yeah, look. Those are those blue eyes. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. <laughs> Sorry, Doug. <laughs> Joe, I love you, bud. Um, <laughs> so ruin it. The next scene, <laughs> Luke is back. Um, he gets dragged in, and he's a mess. They beat the crap out of him. All right. Um, and the funny thing is, he's it, it, you know he's a mess, very tame by today's standards of a mess. <laughs> you know, it's just the way they did it back then. A little bit of fake blood and a, you know kind of a bruise, and that's a mess. Um, so. They bring him in, and you know, the cap. Even Captain comes in, and the Captain to basically reestablish dominance with Luke, and more so with the guys. He references Luke by his his uh, nickname. He calls him Cool Hand Luke, but in a very derogatory, sarcastic manner, um, just to say, yeah, he may be cool to you, but he's nothing just like you. And yeah, you could see it, it deflates the guys a little bit. Um, but, you know, their focus is on Luke. They grab him, they bring him to a table, and they, they start trying to, you know, heal him up, fix him up, make him better. Um, they talk about the picture and how much they love the picture, and they're so happy. And Luke blurts out that the picture's fake. I used the week's pay, which also establishes that he was gone for a while. He even managed to get a job. I used the week's pay to get it faked for you guys. Um, they don't believe him. But then again, he says it, and he finally loses his patience because he's, you know, he's having a hard enough time getting through life on his own. But he start, he, he's feeling the pressure of everybody living through his, his, his life, his eyes, and it's driving him nuts. So, I mean, he just screams, you know, he tells the guys, well, you get out there for yourself, okay? You stop feeding off me, but he yells it. Like, and they've never been yelled at by him like that, and it freaks them all out, um, so, you know, that, again, establishes that in the end, he, he's, he doesn't have a reason for anything he's doing. And, and he certainly can't handle the pressure of being the support vehicle for, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of other people. Um, it's just not him. So uh, next scene, we're back at work again. Uh, but you can see Luke is breaking down physically and mentally. He, he's just not there. Um, they bring him back, and he goes in the box uh, again, you know, just because they're, they're just trying to keep control of the guy. Um, when he gets out of the box, he gets to, to, uh, to eat dinner with the guys. Uh, this is where we definitely reestablish that dog boy is just an awful human being. He's just not nice, you know, uh, especially since he's a prisoner as well. It's not like he's a guard or a boss. He's a fucking prisoner, but he takes care of the dogs. That's all he does, you know, but he's a lackey. He's a toady. Um, he loads Luke's plate with rice because one of the rules is finish your plate or you go in a box. Um, and because of the respect that Luke has from the rest of the crew, you know, he starts to eat it. But then everybody, you know, because, again, their spoons are part of their life. It, they always have their spoons. They each dig their spoon in and take a spoonful of rice to help him I'm finish not, it so that plate's empty. I'm not going to lie. That wasn't that much rice. <laughs> I I've eaten eat, way more I, rice I, than I, that. I couldn't eat that much rice, Joe. Really? I could, not, I could, I could no. fucking crush that. I that was not nothing. eat that much rice. Especially I was looking at that and I was like, God, like, that. like, like that's not that much at all. Like, I could eat like three of those plates of rice. Yeah. All right. Okay, cool. So you have nothing to worry about. You, you yeah, won't go on a box, like, Joe. I was like, he just got that. hooked up. 
was you, like, you might you might end up in the box for 50 other reasons, but not for not cleaning your not plate. Not for that one. <laughs> and however, if I did end up in the box, though, that bucket might not be big enough, that little poop bucket <laughs> they got in there. Yes, exactly. So the next scene is also, it's hard to watch. Um, it's really difficult to watch and very depressing and uh, it's devastating for me anyway. There's no other way around it. Um, the, the bosses and the captain continue their assault on Luke, their mental assault and physical assault on Luke in the sense that they are, they are still in the midst of trying to completely break him down and make him obedient and, and just you know, establish a complete dominance over him. So, you know, um, Boss Paul, <laughs> he walks up to him and tells him, what's your dirt doing in Boss Keen's hole? And, you know, even the, as a viewer, I'm looking at it the first time. I was like, what are you talking about? This, you know, it's the ground. He goes, you need, to get, you need to grab a shovel and you need to get your dirt out of Boss Keen's hole right now. And Luke immediately knows what he's talking about. So he grabs a shovel and he starts digging. So he has to dig basically a grave, okay, because yeah. he's digging. He has to dig until he's told to stop digging. Well, I mean, he um, also dug it in the shape of a grave. Which he no, dug it's in true. Any You're right. He, he didn't have to. He didn't he have to. He could have dug it in like the shape of a yep. giant dick with two balls on the bottom of it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're right. He could have done that, Joe. <laughs> that's what I would have done. All right. That, that's, the, that's the comedic sequel. All right? Yeah. That's funny hand, Luke. All right? Um, <laughs> so he digs a hole, and then one of the other bosses comes over and says, what's your dirt doing on my, on my grass? You can't have your dirt there. And I he has to know. fill the hole again. And then Boss Paul comes up and starts it again. I thought I told you to get your dirt out of, out of Boss Keen's hole. And he just, I mean, Luke's exhausted and he's totally defeated. I mean, at one point he, he tries to lunge at Boss Paul, but it, it's nothing. Boss Paul's not even offended by it because it's, it's, you know, it's not even a half-ass attempt. It's not even an attempt. He basically falls on Boss Paul's feet. Because he just has no energy left. Um, so he's... You should have ate all that rice. There you go. Yeah, that's true. We need more protein. Um, well, that's starch. That's not protein. But carbohydrates. Um, that's what you, you carb load before you're going you're gonna to do some work. That's true. You got to carb load. You're right. You're right. He didn't do it right. <laughs> should have ate so rice. He's completely defeated at this point. I mean, seriously. Also, you can't dig a hole if you're in the box. Is that I, I I visually just in my mind pictured the guy you know the African guy that points to his head like after like the the meme <laughs> the thinking meme wow yes I I know which exactly you're talking about yeah uh, the meme you're talking about uh, so I mean he's totally defeated he he's groveling he actually says oh God I can't take it anymore and that's sort of a revelation to the to the couple of the bosses because one I think it's boss Paul I'm not sure who says who are you talking to. Like, wait a minute, boy! You 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 didn't believe in God, and now you're asking God for help. You know, yeah, that, that's um, kind of what I took away from this this scene is you know they were so offended by the idea that you know his earlier comment in the rain, yes, hundred um, percent, that they just wanted to break him down until you know he was willing to 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 say what he said to beg and exactly, and, uh, yeah, it, w- it was tough to watch, man. It was a uh, yeah, it's kind of a you know. Talk about like modern torture porn and and those yeah. type of films and how they're hard yes. to look at. This yep. was worse for me because it was just like emotionally taxing. No, you know, absolutely. And and it, it goes back to the, to the to the quality way they they the the filmmakers tie us to the character. We are so vested in Luke at this point, regardless of his motives for things. We might not agree with what he does, the way he does it, or you know his short sightedness. 
But, you know, we love the guy. We love the guy like his crew loves him. And, and to see him broken down like this is just devastating. It, it's like um, I, I sort of I was reminded of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Murphy. Um, you know, I mean, and th- this, some of this could have been taken from that because that was written long before this was. Um, but just the way, because Murphy, that character is, is very similar in that he, he, he's, his whole life is about going against authority, fighting yeah. the man. And in the end, they, you know, it's different. Well, no, it's not different because in the end, you know, well, I, no, Luke won in the end, I guess. We'll get to that. But uh, Murphy kind of did not. Um, he, no, he did because the chief escaped. That was his yeah, way of yeah, winning. Yeah, that's true. So, so there's a lot of similarities between those two movies, which I guarantee will show up on my list sooner or later um, because that's another one of my favorite flicks. But, you know, so it's cool to see the tie-ins from different movies, whether, you know, uh, conscious or unconsciously, how the, how the, the storylines are tied in. But, yeah, he's completely broken. He, he vows that he's going to behave. He's going to do whatever they say. And, you know, he's a, he's a defeated man. Um, and the, the, the crew, the boys are so wrecked by this that they can't even look at him when he goes into the bunkhouse. They can't touch him. They turn their backs on him. They can't look at him. Um, it's so bad that when he's in the bunkhouse and he's trying to get in bed and he collapses, he doesn't even have the energy to get in his bunk. He falls on the ground and no one does anything. And he says, where are you? You know, where are you now? And it's just, it's so, it's so sad and emotionally draining to see that because he's right. You know, like, come on, it's not his fault. And, and they have completely abandoned him. Yep. Um, Let them know not what they've done yep. or forgive them for they know not what they do. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yep. So, you know, they're back at it again. And Luke has turned into like the monkey boy. <laughs> okay. They tell him the bosses ask him to do something and he jumps to it, not just lethargically, but with glee. He's happy to be doing it. Okay. Um, you know, they ask him to fetch the, get the water and, uh, you know, he starts giving them the water and, and the guys are so pissed off. They're so dejected from it that, um, you know, they can't, again, they can't look at him. They're angry at him. It's really like, it's really kind of bad. No, it's awful the way they do it. It's a hundred percent. Cup in the balls, boss. Cup in the balls. Exactly. And, uh, you know, uh, boss Godfrey asked him to, to bring him his rifle. And he grabs it and he runs, like I said, like a little monkey boy. He gives him the rifle. Boss Godfrey shoots that fucking snapping turtle. Um, and, and, you know, Luke runs in happily and, and gets the turtle and gives it to the boss. And Boss Paul says, hey, cut that up for lunch. And, uh, and Luke says, okay, boss. And he runs to the truck. And, like, instantly, and you don't even see it really, it, you know, the switch flip. But he just, you know, he gets in the truck and he just starts it. And he drives off. He drives right through the crowd and past the guards. And, you know, um, Dragline sees this, and he's so elated. He jumps on the truck. He shouldn't have done it, but he jumps on the truck and climbs in. And Luke is Luke again. And, you know, because now he's, he's, he's got a mission in his eyes. He's got a task that he needs to complete. Um, we'll find out shortly what that task is. But, um, you know, and you find out that he did plan. It wasn't totally spur of the moment. He planned for at least a few minutes because he took the keys to the other trucks. So they couldn't follow him. Okay. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of important in that, 
you know, was he really defeated? Was he beaten? We don't know yet, you know. Um, so the next scene is uh, they're hiding the truck, which I thought was kind of stupid. They just could have pushed a truck in the, in the lake, but <laughs> they didn't need it anymore. Or kept driving so they can get further away. Yeah, exactly. You know, so they're trying to cover it with tree branches, this massive fucking 16-wheel or whatever, how many wheels the damn thing has on it. Um, but, you know, Dragline is fawning over Luke. He's so happy. Uh, you know, he's convinced that the boss, he had, Luke had the bosses fooled the whole time. But then Luke flat out says, I, you know, that they really did break me. You know, it, it wasn't a plan. I've never had a plan in my life. You know, which actually that line brings me back is when, you know, we started, started talking about the movie, the first scene. I thought Luke had the plan for that scene in that he, he came prepared with a bunch of beers. He had the bottle opener on his neck. Now, granted, that's not, it's not a genius plan, but he, he thought ahead. But he really didn't. It's just, it was just like second nature to him to have that stuff with him. But he didn't purposely think, oh, I need this stuff in order to complete this task because he flat out says, I never had a plan. I've never planned anything in my life. Um, so it's just, you know, it's more, um, you know, more about, his psyche and, and what, what we learn um, about him. So uh, they're on the run. Dragline's got these big ass plans. They're gonna they're gonna you know go down. I don't know if he said Mexico or you know so they're gonna go somewhere. But first they're gonna go back and break out Coco because he owes Coco that. So he's got these delusional delusions of grandeur plans of things that are gonna happen. And you know Luke has his plan and it does not involve Dragline at all. So he puts a stop to that quickly and just lets Dragline know, no, we are going our separate ways, okay? Um, because he doesn't want Dragline to get hurt, I think, is, is part of it. He's actually thinking about somebody else. Maybe, you know, that, that's, that, that could be questionable. But he also has his ideas of how this is going to end, and he doesn't want Dragline involved in it because his plans only involved himself. So Dragline agrees, and he moves on. Um, so... We go into, Luke goes into church again, and uh, it's, an, it's an empty church. It's at night, and he decides he's going to have another conversation with God, and um, it's an interesting conversation. It really is. So, uh, you ready, Joe? I am. All right, so why don't you cue that up? I know I'm a pretty evil fella. Kill people in the war. I got drunk, and chewed up municipal property and the like. I know I got no call to ask for much, but even so, you gotta admit you ain't dealt me no cards in a long time. Again, it looked like you got things fixed so I can't never win out. Inside, outside, all them rules and regulations and bosses. You made me like I am. I just, where am I supposed to fit in? Oh, man, I got to tell you, I started out pretty strong and fast. But it's beginning to get to me. When does it end? What do you got in mind for me? What do I do now? my knees asking
Yeah, that's what I thought. I guess I'm pretty tough to deal with, huh? A hard case. Yeah. I guess I gotta find my own way. All right. So, I mean, you know, he's still willing to ask for help. You know, the, 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 the bosses and the captain might think he doesn't believe in God. Um, and he may be losing that faith, but it's still there because he's willing to have that conversation or try to have that conversation with God. He's maybe expecting a direct answer, but it ain't going to come. So, you know, that, that also locks in his plan, at least to me, uh, as to how this is going to play out. Um, the end of that clip, we, we hear the, the sheriff's uh, vehicle roll up. Uh, we also very quickly come to find that all the bosses and the captain, everybody's there. Um, in comes Dragline. He was picked up probably, I don't know, I think he even said it really quickly after they, they split up, he was picked up by the crew. And in his infinite naivete, Dragline thinks that he's got it all worked out. He he put on his sales charm and, and he tried you know, or he, he feels that, that he convinced the bosses to, you know, let bygones be bygones and, um, you know, bring Luke in peacefully if Luke comes out with him. Because, uh, again, for, for Dragline, it's all about going back to normal. It, it's going back to the routine that he knows, his comfort zone. Because, you know, as big an alpha as he is, it's all about that comfort because when he gets outside of that, he's not adequately equipped to, to make the, the, the changes that need to be made when you're dealing with a, you know, a changing situation. So he's, it, that, that comfort zone is very important to him. So he, he, uh, he tries to convince Luke. And Luke's not having it. Um, you know, he, he walks over to the window, and um, he opens the window up, and he sees everybody out there. I mean, you know. And it's interesting because when he looks out there, um, Boss Godfrey, I, I know he's holding a rifle, but he's, like, he's very relaxed. They're all very relaxed, you know. So I don't know if they're expecting, you know, Luke to come out with Dragline and then maybe settle this, you know. But, I mean, going back to earlier in the, in the film, I, I didn't mention it, but there's a point where Boss Paul says, you know, if you do this again, we're going to kill you. So, I mean, the warning is already there. Um, but they just seem all relaxed, you know. So we get a tie back to the, to the iconic uh, Captain Speech uh, with, with, uh, with Luke and uh, Joe. Roll it. What we got here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> exactly and it's funny because he speaks in the same high-pitched voice i mean paul newman doesn't have the deepest voice either although um, his cadence is better oh his cadence yeah well he's paul newman i mean come on um yeah and of course we hear we hear uh boss godfrey <clears throat> gunshot um again we go back to the to the 1960s level of of violence and gore it's kind of hard to tell I, I guess he gets shot in the neck it's kind of hard to tell where he gets shot there's blood on his neck, but the, you don't see a bullet hole or anything. Um, but, you know, he's obviously he's still alive. Uh, he's stunned, you know, obviously stunned. And I'm still trying to come to terms personally based on my feelings of the character as to was he surprised at what happened or, you know, di did he, you know, I always thought that, that, that he, he knew this was going to be the end. But the look on his face tells me otherwise. So I'm, I don't know. I, I, I got to think about that more. Um, but, you know, he looks shocked and Dragline's completely beside himself because, you know, it wasn't supposed to happen this way. He had it all worked out and, and it all went to shit. 
so he, you know he runs over to grab Luke before he falls, and uh, you know, he cradles him, holds him, and supports him up. And they come out, and it's raining, and um, he's escorting Luke to to you know the crew uh, so that they can you know provide aid and get him better. Because again, that's all Dragline wants is everything go back to the way it was. Uh, so they pass off Luke, and, and but you know Dragline finally he's finally done. He the rage, and, I, and I, I'm wondering if, if this particular, you know, 10 seconds or 15 seconds of film is what won him the Oscar, George Kennedy, because that rage that he expresses when he screams like that or yells is so visceral and so emotional for me. When he charges at Boss Godfrey with, with this just animalistic yell, because he wants nothing but to kill him for what he just did to his best friend and, and his savior, so to speak. And, you know, he tackles Boss Godfrey to the ground and, uh, you know, the rest of the guards and bosses jump on him, of course, and stop him. But Boss Godfrey's glasses go flying. And that's the shield. That's Boss Godfrey's shield for this whole movie. And the shield is gone. And you see him, you know, scrounging around on the ground like this little rat looking for the glasses. Like, you know, like he can't even see. He's so sensitive to the light, I guess. I don't know if that's real or, or well, not. Well, I mean, it was nighttime, so... No, I know that's exactly, but he, he, that those glasses are so a part of him, and it's his mystique and his shield that they're gone, and he doesn't know what to do. Um, so you know they they get dragline off him, but I, I that that yell gets me every time, every freaking time when I hear it. Um, so they put Luke in the car, and one of the de- sheriff's deputies who aren't part of the gang, um, and I mentioned that this hospital's so and so you know miles away, and captain just says no we're gonna take him to prison hospital and they're like he's gonna die that's over an hour away no that's all right we got this you know because that's what they want they want him dead they they can't bring him back at this point because they might as well hand him over the keys <laughs> to the prison and, and and the other inmates because he would be you know again he would be a god to them uh so you know in we're going to tie this up neatly in a minute, but um, as Luke, as they drive off, Luke's looking out the window, Connie's looking off into space, but you see that, that Luke smile that we're going to hear, hear about in a second. We see that Luke smile, and um, he's just, you know, he's just got that grin because, again, he settled the score. I call it a shit-eating grin. Yes, it is. It is in a way, absolutely. But it's a satisfied grin. It, it, it's a smile that, that says that he... He, he checked the boxes that needed to be checked. Whatever, whatever goal he set for himself, whatever it was, whether it was retribution or you know, revenge or settling a score or, or just another, quote, project that he, that he gave himself, he completed that project. And that's where their smile comes in because, you know, you can see, um, you know, and as he's driving off, again, another line that chokes me up is, is just drag line, just yelling, you're going to be some world shaker, Luke. Like, you go. You know, get get better. Um, so the car pulls off, and Luke's theme starts again, um, and it's really sad this time. So it cuts now to the gang. I guess their next road assignment is right in that town, right at that church. And it's lunchtime, and they and and the boys are sitting around Dragline, and they're asking him uh, to 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 describe what happened. And you know, they ask somebody asked well, what he looked like, and. While we know that Luke was shocked when he got shot, right, 
Dragline, you know, he does a little retconning there because he wants to make everybody feel good because that's what, you know, we know Dragline. He loves to embellish a story, you know, and he was smiling. And I'm sorry, guys, I'm getting emotional from this shit. This is what this movie does to me. I'm serious, man. Two beers <laughs> in it, and, and, and this movie gets me, you know. He was smiling, that Luke smile of his. And why don't you, can you, can you, did I ask you to play that, Joe, or no? Oh, yeah. All right, so why don't we play the whole end speech? They took him right down that road. What'd he look like, Drag? Yeah, Drag, what'd he look like? He had his eyes open and closed, Drag. He was smiling. Smiling? <laughs> That's right. You know, that, that, that Luke smile of his. He had it on his face right to the very end. Hell, if they didn't know it for, they could tell right then that they weren't ever going to beat him. That old Luke smile. <laughs> old Luke. He was some boy. Cool hand Luke L. He's a natural born world shaker. So there you go. Um, the movie ends with a couple of quick, uh, like a montage while, while Dragline's talking. There's a montage of, of Luke smiling, you know, through all the scenes in the movie. Um, and it ends with, uh, you know, sort of a, a zoom in of that picture. Um, you know, focuses like on Luke's face. Him with ascending two, with two angels around him. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what it is because it goes right in on his eyes. Um, and it's funny, I, I read that the studio wanted as much as many shots of, of Newman's eyes as was physically possible in the movie. It drove you know, the cinematographer nuts. <laughs> watching that montage just now, yeah. I realized that Norm MacDonald looks a lot like Paul Newman. <laughs> yeah, sort of like Paul Newman's like a, not a, so like a, good. Like a, well, Chinese, like a Chinese knockoff version of Paul Newman. Yeah, well, like the, <laughs> you know how like there's so many movie stars, like Sylvester Stallone, right? Then you got his not-so-good-looking brother, Frank. Yeah. And, and, and like... Uh, What's his name from Roadhouse <laughs> and Ghost? His, oh. his brother oh, is like, yeah, Swayze. Swayze. His brother's like hideous looking. So it's like all the good genes went into went into Paul Newman and McDonald got the lesser part of the genes. Well, but, we have no. here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's some um, uh, fake news. Yeah. So although Norm McDonald's way funnier. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. This, him playing the pigeon in Mike Tyson mysteries. Oh, God, it killed me. Joe, you're killing my fucking buzz right now. Oh, sorry. We're talking about a great movie. You're bringing Norm MacDonald's pigeons in with Mike Tyson stories. No, I'm teasing you. Um, it's a good observation. But so, yeah, so that's the movie. That's that's the end. And, um, you know, I, I've obviously expressed my feelings for this movie um, and the emotion it brings me. Um, and that's why, that's why I wanted to share it with everyone. Because um, the real question, you know, Doug. Yeah. What do you rate this movie? <laughs> well, because you you came on board saying you you don't think you're going to have a perfect five. So what do you rate? this I movie? I know, and um, I've been debating this all day. I'm serious, and I still can't do it. Um, but it's a it, it, without even going into the act. There's no need to explain anything because I've gushed about this. It's a four point nine because I still, you know, I joke about Band of Brothers being the only perfect ten in my life. And that still maintains the perfect five in my life in this case. Uh, it's a 4.9. And, and I would even go as far as to say it's a 4.95. Like, 
it's as close to perfect as you can get. There are a couple of things that might have done, been done differently. Uh, it's a two-hour movie, and it might not have needed to be a two-hour movie. But there isn't an unnecessary scene in it. Because even the shower scene that we joked about, what was it, 10 seconds, 15 seconds long? You know, it could have done without it, but it didn't deter from anything. So, you know, the pacing in it is... Well, I think the scene before the shower scene wasn't necessary either, but it was extremely necessary. Yeah, you know, it was a bonding... I I, I look at it, though, as a bonding experience for, for the crew. Um, you had the new guys in there with the old guys. Luke was, you know, coming up and, and, and getting more, you know, involved and, and liked. And I think it was a bonding scene. But you're right. But I find I can't find any pacing issues with it. There's there's no real continuity issues. There's no completely unnecessary scenes in my eyes. The acting is amazing from the small parts to the big parts. Somebody didn't even mention, it's funny, he's uncredited in his uh, Joe Don Baker um, he was one of the inmates and, you know, he went on to play, uh, Buford Pusser in Walkie Tall and, uh, he played Alex Leiter in, uh, in a couple of the Bond, uh, flicks. So, I mean, he, you know, he's had a great career, but he was even uncredited in that. And he actually had speaking lines. It was kind of weird the way they did things back then. Um, he was uncredited just cause they didn't, you know, want to pay for the end credits, I guess. I don't know why, but um, and there are a couple other folks in there that, that were uncredited that had even had speaking lines. Um, so I yeah, I can find almost nothing wrong with this. I just can't do it uh, a 5, but it's a 4.95 for me. Okay, Eric? Man, uh, I love how much you love this movie, man, because uh, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Yep. I, I was really impressed with this movie. Um, like I said, fresh eyes. Um, it was it was just really well done, and I think it's tough to make a movie that can be so uh, differently interpreted. I mean, it's on the one hand, like we talked about, it's very clearly like a Bible allegory and like a you know Judeo Christian allegory, but for it, you to be able to interpret that a different way, um, it just means that it, it wasn't heavy handed in the wrong way. So it, it's it's really interesting storytelling man um i'm gonna give this 4.2 parking meters uh, <laughs> <laughs> i love that and 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 eric i i i'm my heart is swelling right now the fact that we got it over four we're we're into the elite territory and, and you did that and i'm i'm so pleased i'm oh, just pleased on. to hear I that yet what's that i haven't given my rating yet <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say the same thing if you do the right thing, Joe. If you do the wrong thing, though, we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have some words. No, no. Go ahead. Right, so, I think everything you both have said is is dead on accurate about this movie. There's nothing wrong with this movie at all. Um, it's it, it's a very very good movie. Like it's a good yep. story, good movie, good acting, good everything. Um, I do think there's the unnecessary scene, and you know, just for my personal I taste, I thought yep. you know. There, but this could just be a factor that like everything to me is Ocean's Eleven, where there has to be some hidden like agenda, where there doesn't <laughs> can't just be something. It has to no, be something because of something. So that that's a a thing with me, not with the movie. Yep. Um, all that aside, it's it's just not. I mean, it's not my type of movie, but I appreciate the movie. It won't be something that I'm just going to turn on to watch. Oh no, of course, I, I I completely get it but and respect that. Th- that's not the point of this exercise. The point right. of this exercise is to judge the movie based on the movie itself. Um, and for that reason, I'm going to go right along the same lines as Eric, but I'm going to go 
Right. Just so he looks like the bad guy. Oh, touche. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not uh, – like I said, look, I mean, and Eric, I appreciate, I appreciate you seeing my love for this flick, you know, understanding my love for this movie because that means a lot to me because, you know, I obviously put it on the list. It's my favorite movie of all time. I put it on the list, on our early list because I, I wanted to get it out there. And if I – damn, if I can find like – and I've already found two people who hadn't seen it who now really like the movie. Um, and I'm hoping that more more of our listeners get on that get on that wagon because you know yeah, just because I love it so much. It, it just also made, it, on this, my influencing is the fact that it also made me re-listen to some Aesop Rock today, <laughs> and that's always a I'm bad. glad I could help. Always with that, a plus. Joe. That makes me happy that I could help with that. Um, so yeah, I mean, no, as far as as far as talking about the movie, that that's that's what I got. Um, I appreciate you know. Uh, you guys indulge me with this, but you know I know that it's a great movie. So, you know I I I uh, I'll put I'm it happy. I didn't I didn't I, I didn't have a bad time watching it. It was right. good. I, I enjoyed right. watching it. Cool. So I can bring some old school stuff to the young kids. Yeah. But <laughs> Halloween, I, I didn't enjoy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I shit all over that movie and gave it like a two something rating. Well, <laughs> I I can't say that that you know that definitely dropped way down on my list. Like. I gave it a yeah. good rating just because of the nostalgia factor, but as far as a quality movie goes, that one that yes. one fell way down on my list. So that, like, that's, I, that's what I, I'm saying. Like, I'm, I'm fair with my, my rating. So if I'm giving this a 4.3, it's because I actually did enjoy it. Yeah. It's not, no, I can tell. Yeah. I I, no, I can. I can you tell by you, just you to, guys' just to input. Appease you. <laughs> you know, the input you guys had on this and everything, um, it was important to me, you know, and, and well, I was hopeful. And, uh, you know, I, I was confident because I know the movie's that good. But it was just cool. I'll stop yeah. uh, again, blithering and blathering right now. No, it's great. Um, I, yeah. I, I thought it was a great movie. Cool. So, everybody, we do suggest you watch this movie. Add this movie to your watch list. And if you've listened to this podcast and made it to this point, I really hope you already watched it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think Norm MacDonald should remake this movie. Dude. <laughs> Don't even... <laughs> <laughs> Not even. He's one of the oddest people on the planet. I love oh, Norm Macdonald, but, so but he is an odd duck. That who who would play Dragline though? Oh, uh, it would have to be uh, who was the other you know, guy in Dirty Work? Uh, nah, well, I you know who my, All right, go ahead, and I'll tell you who my call is for it, and and you guys will totally agree with me. Oh man, I'm drawing a blank. Artie Lang. Oh, have you seen current Artie Lang? Yeah, that's who I want. Holy I want I want melted want nosed. No, melted nosed. I, I know Lang. who I want. I don't know his real name. Um, yeah. But have you ever watched the show Superstore? Yes. No. He plays the manager, Glenn. Oh God! Come on, is Dragline? <laughs> what are you nuts? No. Yes, I listen. because he he also just like Dragline is a little slow. As a no, I know that. But listen to me. You know he was also um. Jay Baruchel's stepdad in Man Seeking Woman. Yes, he was. He was. So listen, boys. All right, my my pick for a remake, although I, I think that would be blasphemy, Vincent D'Onofrio as Dragline. Oh, that's good. He is yeah. physically imposing. He 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 has more than has the range to pull off that character because he's one of the best actors of of our generation in my eyes. Um, I, I think physically he he would be that guy. I don't know that I could ever pick anybody to replace Newman just because of my love for the man, but well, there's got to be somebody did, out like, there. Figure it out. That's Norm McDonald. That's it's just based right. on looks alone. All right, you're right. <laughs> we'll move on to the other characters, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's yeah. not even up for debate. <laughs> yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio would be my drag line. Uh, I can all see day, him every he, day. He'd be like, you know, 
Nothing is a good hand. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh. The Vincent D'Onofrio, that's a way better pick than what I was going to say next, which was uh, yeah. the big brother from Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Brad Garrett. Yeah, Brad Garrett. Oh, How about man. Vince Vaughn? <laughs> Vince Vaughn. Oh, man. Uh, All right. Let's not disparage this thing. All right. We're going to move on. So, <laughs> so, uh, so guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, got anything to plug? Well, uh, yeah. Um, I, uh, well, I'm plugging 37FX, but the big news is I got my website up. So it makes it a lot easier to sell stuff um, and and buy stuff, more importantly. Um, You can peruse the stuff and then purchase it, and we can have a conversation about customization if it's going down that road or if it's a standard version. Uh, So it's uh, www.37fx.com. So that's the word 30, the number 7fx.com. I just figured out where you got 37 from. (laughs) It might have something to do with it. I just uh, fig- put the two and two that. together. I didn't want to jump on that shit because it's, it's not the sole reason. <laughs> it's not the sole reason. But, yeah, Luke's, uh, Luke's laundry number was 37, and that also goes to Luke 37 yeah. uh, in, the, in the Bible. So Don't know. you even try to shit me. That's where you got it from. Like, uh, I know that's where you got it from. <laughs> well, we also know that, you know, the heathen that I am, I couldn't tell you a word of what Luke 37 says. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay. so yeah, that's my plug. That's what I got. Oh, my plug. Uh, hey, if you're a Central Florida person, you, uh, Longwood, there's a brewery called Hourglass Brewing. <laughs> Great beer. And this month's art show, they do a monthly show. This is Star Wars The Mandalorian. So I've got four pieces on display for the month of January. If you would like to purchase them, they are available for purchase uh, I think one of them's gone already, but there's three left. And if you see that stuff and you like it, just hit me up and I'll sell you more. What's Excellent. the chances that um, drag lines from Longwood? <laughs> Very high. <laughs> Very high. Now that you mention it. Uh, and don't forget, you can also get a Masters of the Cinematic, t- Masters of the Cinematic Universe t-shirt. That's right, from, I have uh, mine. Eric's Threadless. I got mine. That's correct. Uh, art of Eric Pabone, P-A-B-O-N dot Threadless dot com. Yeah. And I'll say it, I, I got to lay it out. I mean, Eric's art is the bomb. I mean, his oh, stuff yeah. is so good. Um, I can't say enough good things about it. Like I said, he designed my logo. Uh, you can see that on my website. He just did that for me. It's like he read my mind. But just his art, uh, you know, the sci-fi related art and, and, the, and the pop culture related art and any of it. Even the, I've, I've seen like the, the personal family portraits that he's done. Uh, so yeah. cool and so creative and so original. So he even Thank made you, he even made no, the Mandalorian cool. When when it's true, it's easy, Eric, and it's true. I mean, just people got to get on that shit because your stuff is great. I right? appreciate it, man. No and, and you ruined my, my my dig on his TV show. I called it the Mandalorian. <laughs> right. It got better. You. I was I was kind of with you, but it got better. The last four episodes were great. I haven't watched them yet. Ooh. I gave up after Frog Frog goes across the universe. Nah, it all tied in. It all, it all tied in, and then uh, the last three, three anyway, the four, were were absolute gold. I'm sorry, they look so great. So yeah. Yeah, I might I might finish it. I got I gotta watch Soul first. Um, but if you want to uh, get any other guitar pedals and art from Doug and his cool hand pedals, I'm surprised <laughs> you didn't call it cool hand pedals. Uh, it, no, there's one coming. Don't worry about that. Uh, cool. There's foot one pedals. coming. There's well, if you, uh, 
if you want any other pedals that are um, very different, you can check out Like My Pedals. Uh, yeah. Which, uh, you know, it's just a bunch of random nonsense on pedals, kind of like what I like in movies, random nonsense. Yeah, but that's also, I, this is an honest plug. Joe's stuff is great. His pedals are amazing. He's got such a variety, and it's all quality stuff, man. Oh, yeah. They sound, I have a few of uh, Joe's pedals, right? and, and they sound great. They make me sound like a better guitarist than I am. <laughs> Well, I, I totally, I could totally relate to that. <laughs> and since, you know, I do enjoy random nonsense, the next movie coming up is one that I picked that is a bunch of random nonsense. <laughs> yeah, but it's the best kind of random nonsense. Oh, me? it is the best kind of nonsense because it is the true story behind the making of the most expensive fake true war story ever. <laughs> Tropic Thunder. Yes. So uh, join us next week. Or next next two week. I forgot we do this bi weekly, not weekly. Bi weekly. Join us on the next episode when we talk about some of the wonderful worlds of dudes playing dudes disguised as other dudes. Yeah. It's gonna be a good one. Yep. Sometimes nothing is a cool hand. All right, guys. Well, once again, thank you for joining us on this show and listening to our shenanigans and this week dealing with Doug's old man movie. And uh, on that note, lights. Camera. Fuck off. Check in my love